It's Gentleman Jack Crack. Cue that fucking jaunty music. Nineteenth century groveling, groveling, groveling. Good lord. Hello, happy lovely jaunty people. Hi. How you doing? Um. What shall we call this announcement that we are recording to play the beginning of our latest nightcap because uh, shenanigans are afoot in this recording. Uh, so, okay, so see what had happened was, <laughs> what had happened was, this is important, this is important backstory. I mean, for people who aren't following the, the Instagram, um, yeah. we, we yeah. had a hefty day of, of, of recording. Um, there were visitors to the studio who were um, jaunting about and, <laughs> Uh, like imagine a, a young Lista with with soldier troops and you know <laughs> cigarellos, loose women and alcohol. So are you comparing, gambling? <laughs> are you comparing your bad behavior to a young Anlista, nineteen yes, year old yes, Anlista? And yes, again. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if you remember that yeah. that that uh, visitor to the booth that <laughs> handed over a pair of um of no that uh, was Dana. Uh, no 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 no. There was a visitor to the booth. In FlameCon, who oh. handed over uh, a set of petticoats, saying, "Oh, oh um, <laughs> you may have left these when you uh, when, 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 when oh, we laughed. Right. laughed I can't forget queer. if I forget if I exposed your debaucherous behavior or not when you had your your undergarment, so, your petticoats returned to you at FlameCon. So, in the midst of all the debauchery, I was like, <laughs> let me take a quick Uber." And, uh, you know, try to squeeze in a grubble, which turned into <laughs> a nightcap. And then it was like, I was on live on Facebook. But honestly, and I, was I watching, encourage this kind of behavior. I was so watching the live Facebook feed of the other of the show. And I was like, oh, there's oh, a dating yeah. app. And I was like, wait, they're recording this, which means they'll be done soon, which means I should be getting back. And then yeah. so it was like, yeah. So they were like, and stay the night. And I was like, no, I, 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 I can't, I can't stay the yeah, night. I, I fucking can't. I mean, but you. it's, it is what it is. On your goddamn. And then, so, and I made it to see the crew. I feel like you, off. you did, you did see the crew jaunt off, and they were still being jaunty outside. And I was like, y'all going to strip club, and now what's going on? Go give these women money. But you. See, I feel like we had you like it's like in the first half we was doing good. Like right. we was we were sort of maintaining in the first half. Like you but was a little fucked I, up I in was the first drinking half. Faster. But the second half, right. you finished like two cups while I was still on my one, and I felt like I was drinking pretty fast. And uh, that second half of entries, boy, boy, I'm, I might it's, have been. A, I might have been. Y'all, it's just gonna be me <laughs> a little bit when you're hearing, and we apologize. But I do. <laughs> I mean, I was encouraged to crack open. The, I mean, I would have left. I mean, it was good. It was good. It was good. So just, shout out to it, Dana who donated all the lovely. We Walker. love you, Dana. We love you, Dana, for all the N Walker gin. Shout out to the motherfucking listener who was like, "Crack open the gin, <laughs> do it." Oh, it was cracked. We did it. We were brave, and uh, we paid the price. Yes, Julie, Julio, eight seven five, who said, "Crack that shit open, Julio." Bitch. The, the gym was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, it will be enjoyed in the future in moderation. It won't be like a straight. <laughs> we will attempt to have him enjoyed in moderation because, well, we did compare to Ann Walker's Thirst and that is never in moderation. And yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? That we should have was... known. We should have known. I think the issue is that if we're going to touch Ann Walker's gin again, we just have to start like two hours earlier. Like We cannot let the other gays and people in this damn studio distract us from our duties, our right. gentleman Jack duties. Right. And engage in debaucherous behavior and affairs and 
whatnot. And, you know, since we're recording this little announcement at the time that we received those wonderful pictures. Yes. Our patron saint of fest. <laughs> Making her way. I don't know why that's like Michelle Branch came with her head. Is that Michelle Branch? Wait, wait, oh, wait, no, 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 not no, no. Michelle Branch. Oh, Vanessa Carlton. Carlton. Making my way downtown. Walking fast. Actually, it, jaunting fast. That's right. Gay as fuck and I'm thirsty. <laughs> so, motherfucking shout out again to Caitlin. Caitlin, who we met when she came by our bills at FlameCon couple weeks ago and we mentioned how she got one of our patron saint of this candles and the candle has been taken across yonder as we had hoped for to europe and has made its way to several places if you visit us on the insta you will see that we regrammed her post and all the pictures all the lovely places she took pictures of our patron saint of this making sure to light the candle yes. so that the gay agenda of spreading the vapors yes. across the continent was being tended to and we appreciate her so much for it she wrote, our patron saint of thirst began her European pilgrimage in Sarajevo for Bosnia's first ever Pride March. That's amazing. That's like that was similar to the sound I made out on the street. It was like half Cardi, half dinosaur. I don't know what I was it was. Face it was weird. I sound like Courage the Cowardly Dog. It was, it was bad. I was obnoxious. Like the minute I saw the picture, I jaunted to everyone within my immediate sphere, whether they knew about the podcast or not, to be like, bitch, would you look at the gay agenda? Would you look like, at the gay agenda? The swag look at it. made it to look you. At the it. swag is in Bosnia. Just, I said, I just... look at the gay vapors spread. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but yes. Uh, so yes, yes. Uh, Bosnia's first ever Pride March, which is fucking amazing. And she was joined by thousands of amazing people who would have made the Anns proud. Needless to say, she is leaving a trail of vapors everywhere she doth go. And she also has, you'll see that our other favorite Anne also made a subtle but important appearance. Where will she go next? Bitch, I... <laughs> Only the vapors know right. who they will go next. Right. My heart. It My heart is full. This... Did you did you see? I saw also in the pride photo. The, aside from the candle, I saw the bracelet. I was like, it's it's ha it's it's real. I wear my double bracelets every day, and we had a couple of listeners Listen, reach out. I've, saw I've the Insta, taken... and I was like, who wants a fucking bracelet? Like we have a lot of them. You wear yours every day. I wear mine every right. day. It's just like a part of my thing now. And I just, I just, I said on the post where I was like, I've made weird noises. I've run around jaunting, so excited to see this development, and I was just just happy. It totally made my day actually where will she go next i can't wait to see i too Caitlin, can't wait i to fucking see. can't thank you so much for sending those goddamn pictures i can't even tell you and you know my my friends and co-workers do not thank you because again i put obnoxious as hell like look at the look at the picture <laughs> look at the fucking pictures this is the most beautiful thing you've ever fucking seen like okay candace um what number cup of coffee are you on right now <laughs> But yeah, we were so excited to get these pictures. And I will just say this because we did mention, I think towards the end of this recording, people were here that we were going to attempt to do some Mariana talk for the Patreon. It didn't happen due to your inebriation. Yeah, I was. But it will go Woo. down this week, probably mid to late week when we come back to Gelva. Yeah. But we're definitely going to do it. And God, I'm ready for this Mariana TED talk. And it's not episode seven. It's not episode seven. We're not there for Wait, where I will bring my, my laundry list because I just... I, it's, it's just, you know, you know what it is? You know what it is? And this is what we'll have to discuss when you have all the information is that I consistently see a sentiment of, you know, Mariana and Anne versus Anne and Anne and what relationship had more passion or sometimes people even say more love. And I'm just like, I don't feel oh. like that's how love works. See, I don't, I don't, see, I don't, it's just, 
it's I'm not just, even there yet, and I already seem to disagree it's, with right. Them. It's a different type of relationship, and I I think both were passionate, and I think both were full of love, just like different types of of the expression of love, and certainly, for my opinion, in Mariana's case, a more often than not toxic expression of I'll, love. Even though I'm that in the come, dark, that about, came with pain. Came with right, pain I, I'm, I'm no stranger to the pain. You know what I'm happened? Sure was? That you know what happened deeper. was because I can't ever stop talking about Ann Lister in between stuff because I have problems. Again, yesterday to a friend, I was like, you know what? I just need to talk to you about Mariana. Can you hear me out for a second? So I pulled out my iPad and I just went through like I was sort of going through like my itinerary. Like it's now we're not at episode seven. I'm still like I'm get my itinerary correct about what I want to say about Mariana, and I just hit like 10 bullet points that I feel like help me along my argument for what I'm trying to say overall when it comes to Anna and Anne versus Anna and Mariana. And when I was done, she was like, yo, that's that's some fucked up shit from Mariana. And this is actually, I'm like, yes, you feel the emotional weight. And it's so fucking different with her and Anne Walker that I just feel like it's not right to downplay the obvious passion and love that was in their very different relationship when Anne was in a very different part of her life and just all of it. So I said all that to say... As you already know, if you've been listening to this damn podcast, <laughs> that I am so excited to talk about Mariana that despite all my my stuff, I do enjoy the character. I do find her intriguing. I just do not think she's a, a match for Anne. And I'm glad they didn't go down that way. I mean, just because the two of them have a history don't necessarily mean they okay. have a future. Okay. And you know how I'm always ridiculous with songs? Yeah, like, yeah. I swear to God. And... <laughs> Got a group of mini jaunt, mini jaunty gays to sing this yesterday because it was accurate. I was like, I need everyone to fill with me, but I found an entry. So you know Celine Dion's song. There were moments of yes. gold and there were flashes of light. Yes. There, there were things, things I'd never do again, again, but then they'd always seem right. right. First of all, first of all, it took me mad years to go from little baby loving Celine Dion to adult person that was like, Celine, what are you talking about, baby girl? She's talking about uh getting on her knees. Lord, yeah. that's the head agenda. Selena she was like, <laughs> right. She said, because she was like, there were things I'd never do again, but, but then, then they'd always seem right, right yes. girl. Okay, so there's an entry. There was an entry that literally sums up this exact fucking sentiment. And you know we're going to have to talk about it on the show with how we are. The exact fucking sentiment. And then goes to what, like it shows how how sprung and just gay and Lister is for Mariana. But then back to what I always say about how Mariana can have what seems to be this amazing experience with Anne. And then be on her fuck shit literally right after. And you know what happens after this momentous moment? That's like a Celine Dion song. Scarborough. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all. I'm. I'm just gonna say that we're probably gonna have to be drinking. Well, no, no, no. For episode seven, well, and I also the like, nightcap for yeah, episode for seven both. because for it's gonna be one of those. Okay. Well, <laughs> wish I never wasted any of my time on you since then. <laughs> oh, but when you cuss me like this. <laughs> See, this is why Woo! we are a mess. It, this is exactly Woo. why. So I'm super excited to get to Mariana because I just, I just, I just. Time to give my 18,000th TED Talk where the analyster is concerned. But yeah, good shit. So this is our mini announcement, guys. Um, enjoy the rest of this nightcap. Sorry for when it gets weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, sorry. but we did our best and we promise <laughs> the next episode will be super lively. Yeah, there'll be more pacing. And then, yeah, um, pacing. That's, and that's, then, that's a good word. And then maybe it won't be 7 a.m. when <laughs> we're wrapping up. That could be okay, another so thing that we that work on. That was part of it. And it's not like we hadn't wrapped that early before. But what was different about that 
was the oh, amount the of liquor consumed yes, it was heavier. and it was the turntness it, it was the turntness at the studio well uh, that's that that influenced it it was was it was a friday right uh, it was a Friday. Possibly. Um, Thursday no, night, Friday Thursday. morning. Yeah, right, Friday morning. True, true, true. So but the weekend uh, starts on Thursday. It also seemed like <laughs> like the degree of which the drinking is happening. I mean, every episode, there seems to be more alcohol. And it's more it's so because, because episodes yes, are getting more stressful. Yes. Like we were talking like, about. It'd be bringing up old <laughs> shit, triggering shit. Like yes. you think about things, think about your fucking friends. And then you're just like, yeah, I'm sipping on this a little bit harder. Than I might have when I was in the happy grubbles right. and flirting stage in episode two and three. No, so you can't really right blame us. That. It's the content. It's the content, Con- you yeah. guys. We're, we're, we're really emotional yes. when it comes to the ands. We can't help it. And when you drink when you're emotional, and then if you're Oof. emotional when you drink, well, it's just a cycle. Well. See, I know I'm I'm gonna be on the turn up messy part when it's time for episode seven. So just you guys brace, right, brace your, it. Brace yourselves. Yeah. For those hours of screaming from me, I apologize in advance. But until then, we appreciate you guys so much. Follow us on all the stuff online if you want to see some of the random shit we do in between because there were clues about Terrence's state of affairs (laughs) (laughs) at the time. But they were like on our Insta stories. So they're gone now. So enjoy the episode. Bye. Open whichever way you feel. (laughs) Nightcaps can be as they are, which is whatever happens. That is true. Hey. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Um, Welcome to uh, Gentleman Jack Crack. This is our historical nightcap episode. Uh, some of us are buzzed a bit. Yo, a that's tad, why, a that's why you're jaunting into this fucking opening. You're like, hey, here we are, gentlemen. Jack Crack, Nightcap, we're here, you guys. Have you noticed, like, usually, I guess, sober us or sober me is like, <laughs> well, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to begin. I don't know what to you're say. You're like, let me jump right into this fucking shit, bitch. I'm going to thank uh, Drumshanbo. Gunpowder. Is that my reading this right? It's fancy, Jen. It that's is right. fancy. It's a very piney booze actually okay welcome to officially gentleman jack crack historical nightcap 104.5 for episode four of gentleman jack entitled most girls most women women want that and man girls. with the bling bling they're <laughs> <laughs> dull and yes, stupid dull and stupid if you were to ask christopher rolson so christopher what the fuck his mama his mama elder ross mama See, we barely started ross. and it's already a mess well shall we cheers before this gets any messier oh yes that was a deep slurp so i think we already well you mentioned it but we can mention it again so what exactly are you drinking oh, this yes. early a.m uh Tomo? this is it says drunk shambo right uh, slow distilled gunpowder irish gin irish gin in a beautiful lovely blue bottle this looks so good in honor of our patron saint of thirst who is going through it in these current episodes of gentlemen jack and walker yeah, she was kind of blue this episode. Blue on the inside. Yeah. And this is blue like her lovely gown, of which she wore she wore the gondola when she was headed out to the Lake District. The blue here. It's on right now in the studio. So this is uh episode two. This is when they're about to fucking kiss the, in episode two. This is what the this is the destruction like, kiss of, me the, now, of bitch. the paper of the paper knife? This was after the paper knife, like a day. 
yeah it was oh, like a day okay. but this is when they were when she was like i don't even want to go yes. i don't even give a fuck you're really close to my face i just need you to bring it a little closer and she was like just take this gondola pin um yeah so it is blue like ann walker's blue dress of thirst from before she went to the lake district and if you guys are following us on our ragged social meds you probably saw the photo we posted maybe a week ago now for the our previous historical nightcap where we shared a picture of the drinks that we were drinking and the two bottles of Irish gin in particular that were donated to us in honor of Ann Walker that we had not cracked open. And a lot of you bitches were like, crack that shit open. So we've done it. It's happening. Yes. Can you hear it? So it's being drinking. That's not a word, but you invent words when you're not sober and it's fine. Yes. Very, very much fine. Unlike. Uh, form. <laughs> very much form. <laughs> very much fine. Unlike the, the, uh, the level of not fine that I am being introduced to a character that's supposed to make me uh, like, why give me someone to hate? It's like, I'm never going to care about Mr. Rawson, but he was right. like my public enemy. Number one, the Mr. Who done it, who crashed it. Who's, oh, right. who's throwing money around because you know, he has it because he's stealing from other people more than likely who, uh, who's over here causing murder on, and murder on the property. Uh, Last murders. Last manslaughter situations. Got bones sticking out of people's famous. I just. But to give me someone to hate over him. To give me someone who is over here pigeonholing and manipulating women mm, mm-hmm. by uh, threatening what? Salvation on top of other things just to keep them under your little flap. This is this Ainsworth fellow. I, I I don't I don't like him. I think the energy I'm gonna have for Ainsworth will probably match the energy you'll have from for for Mariana. Now, mind you, we've seen Mariana <laughs> at least. We've not seen Mr. Ainsworth. Let me just, let me just and, say something to you. Let me just say something to you. That while my Mariana <laughs> energy is intense, everyone who knows me at this point knows that Candace has a lot to say about Mariana, but it's because I just find her to be so intriguing and ultimately as I've continued to muse about what older Mariana could have been thinking about or doing, it just is an interesting queer story. And from a perspective that we just don't get, especially because it's informed by reality. However, as horrific as Mariana could be, as judgmental and shamey she could be, I don't want to, I don't want to take Mariana out. I don't want to eviscerate Mariana. Mm. I would have loved for Mariana to have gotten her shit together prior to Ann Walker's existence, but that ain't happened. So girl, you missed out. I'm not trying to get Mariana horse whipped, okay? Ainsworth, on the other hand, Ainsworth. Oh, my, 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 my. He brings out all of the misandry that lies within me. Men like him. So, yeah, no, it's different. It's real different. And definitely, especially um, because, well, he's got the weight of the patriarchy behind him. And then he's a fucking reverend. He's a man of the cloth. Anytime a dude is going to be problematic, you're like, wow, what's up with these men? But when it is someone who bothers to to put on this air of like dignity or goodness or piousness or whatever, it's just right. it's even worse. Like why, why be this shepherd and then at the same time be this wolf that's um, preying on the oh, innocent? Yeah, because women are more vulnerable when they're around someone like a priest or a preacher. They think it's safe. And so if those men decide to exploit your vulnerability, well, there you are. See, this, this is, I'm in that why are men space. Like, 
why I was are... born into that space. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Shout oh. out to my mom. No. <laughs> but no, really, really. Yeah, why are men? Are you giving a TED Talk? I'd like to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Never tired of that sentiment. Ainsworth is, and you haven't even been fully exposed to all, all of Ainsworth is, Ainsworth is, Ainsworthless is. I am hoping <laughs> for a flogging. I'm hoping for, when you're someone of a stature, you deserve to have that, that title, that rank. You, you deserve to have all that removed from you in the most humiliating way possible. I want to see the public sort of like, Strip this man bare and have him walk and have somebody ring a bell behind him. Be like, shame. Okay. Shame. Shout that's, out to Game of Thrones. That's, that's because what I want. if we have whole ass toddlers fattling the cart and in the coal mine, we sure as hell could horsewhip a clergy bitch for being a nasty bitch. Agreed. A predatory bitch. An assaulter. But yeah, so fucking motherfucking, motherfucking Ainsworth. Good Lord. And unfortunately, we are in the part of the show and the entries a little bit where Ainsworth is going to be coming a heck of a lot. So this is going to be a spicy historical nightcap, more than likely, you guys. Not just because Terrence left the studio while another recording was happening, evidently got inebriated in the interim and came back. Yeah, I might have have needed to drink to clear my head and I'm back. It'd be like that. It'd be like that sometimes. And I mean, in general, I feel like the vibes were wild in the studio. Like, weren't people talking about going to the strip club? That's right over there. And I was, was like, y'all, uh, yeah, it's still it, a weekday. Was y'all like, bitches don't got to work. I mean, it was, it wasn't like as like head dominant as I thought the vibe would be, but it was still sort of leaning. And I was like, I'm just gonna. Oh, the strip club. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, gonna... Nothing should ever be too head dominant <laughs> if you can avoid it. But they're like, oh my God, it was like a. Did you guys know that this strip club up over here are these blocks away? I'm like, yes, that's how strip clubs are. Like you, there's no flashing sign that's right, like exactly. strip club. Come over here. It's a door. And maybe you know what's behind door number four. Maybe you don't. Yeah. So what, what did you say you drank when you ran out? Was it a, was it gin? I think, Probably no, not. no, no. I strongly don't remember what was called, but it was corked. It was a cider. But it was like, oh, you know, actually, really, it was like a grown up cider. Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's the only that's the best cider to drink is grown up cider. And uh, I was uh, liking some pictures on Instagram with people selling something called grown up Capri Suns. If you know Wait a minute, where, where, where you can this? find these things, give me oh, my phone's dead now. But oh my before God, it was dead. Yeah, before it was before when it was alive, there's this. There are people out there selling something called grown up Capri Suns. Now, okay, but was this on the street, like at Pride, when people just be like, no crackers? I mean, <laughs> and it, it just be it, like 17 liquors like energy, in a thing that'll just fuck you up right away? It seemed like the energy could have been like that, but th- no, no, these signs were cute. They didn't look like lemonade stand type of signs. So, wait, they're on the street? Where it was like, I don't know. Because I'm like, technically, that's street? illegal in New York City, but if they, they think the it's street. a juice. I mean, if the cops do the cops can't tell. I mean, hey. Okay, so. <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned alcoholic Capri Sun because uh, that podcast festival I was at two weeks ago. They had basically what I called adult Capri Suns because it was a bag. It was flexible. You could squeeze it. There was a straw that came out. The contents were alcoholic, but there was also like fruit bits in there. It was delicious. But it was one of those dangerous things, like those those liquors, like hypnotic or whatever, that you just, you drink it and you uh-huh. you don't know. You're like, this is right. juice. Uh-huh. And before you know it, you've drank, you like, drank like three oh. and you're like, I'm fucked. Or you try to take a step and you're like, oh, bitch, what? Um... Did the earth rotate? 
Yeah, on my way back to the what studio, the I had to take off my shoes. I was like, they seem to lean. It's <laughs> uh, it's probably not the shoes, but <laughs> I I took one off. I was like, wait, no, probably it does not. look like I've ran the heel like slightly on one side. So I, <laughs> but it just felt like the earth moved under my feet for a second. So I was like, Let yeah, me just... that's when you have that good good. Mm. Yes, like that one time I had absinthe and uh, well, it's. <laughs> It was an eventful evening, you guys. That's all I'm going to say about that. <sighs> so we are in this part of Gentleman Jack where we are we're hitting into some pretty intense themes. We've got faith and religion, sexual assault and stress, self-esteem, anxiety, all these different things that are, yes. are playing a part. And what's interesting about the show, especially is because at least for Ann Walker, most of these things, if not all of these things, are out of her control. So she's kind of like flailing. I mean, yes. Ann Lister is flailing in a certain way, but so is Ann Walker because she doesn't, she's reacting constantly to the stimuli and not necessarily directing the ship because she can't. As it relates to the anxieties and stuff she feels and the mania that historically we know it was said that she suffered from generally evolved around these topics of morality and ethics and religion in particular. And in the show, the combination of them getting to the grubbles and Ann Lister being very much like, marry me, marry me, be my wife. And then her past guilt of like, there were these sexual goings on, as it said in the show, that I'm feeling guilty about for several reasons. Not wanted advances. He was married. What will God think? What will his yes. dead wife think in the yes. afterlife now that she knows what I've been up to? What am I now morally obligated to now that this woman is gone? And just all the stuff that is kind of at odds with her relationship with Anne because, you know, like we said, she was in her baby gay bubble. And then as people started to try to burst it, it's like this Ainsworth thing is like the last bit to send a bitch completely into into flail zone because she just it's it's unpredictable in that sense we have to imagine that while she was talking about the ainsworths coming and stuff that she wasn't entirely thrilled not the least bit for them to come oh, but it was more so not. around the fact that hey after they're done you and i can travel and more than likely if i feel a way about the ainsworths being around like i can just be like and come over and hang out while the ainsworths are over here and considering how we're on our grubbles every day that will work and you just have this fast forward to horror and trauma where literally we're not back from york five fucking minutes before she's reading a letter, black letter, as we found out was noted, I completely did not notice in the show that the letter was black, probably because like, Anne, I just was thinking about other things, but um, it's done, it's a wrap, it's over, it's ruined, it's destroyed. No more happy feels, and we are in the sad feel place. You are everything, everything that I wanted. Skip we were skip meant the songs. to be, <laughs> supposed to be, but we lost it. All of the memories <laughs> so close to me just fade away. Oh, yeah. All this time we were pretending so much for my happy, happy ending. ending. Oh, <laughs> oh. I was trying to figure oh. out which Anne was singing this. Right. Because it could go it could for go, either It end. could go either way. It really fucking could. I mean, loyalties were definitely questioned in this episode where it was like, oh, I thought we were... What, we got secrets now? There were just so many. It was like, so uh, it's, it seems like we need to figure out where we stand. So, you know, right, I'm going to give you right. your time to figure out what you, what need, you to need to do. What you need to do, what you got going he on. he sounds like he needs a decision from you. And uh, what, I, by, I Monday, <laughs> by Monday? By Monday, you, by Monday you should you gotta, know by Monday, what you're you going to say. You should, you should know. And it's 
A lot of it has to do with the fact that the personality differences that often complement each other were Anne and Anne are concerned are now coming up against each other because Anne Lister is very confident. She's determined. She's focused, motivated, decisive. Where Anne Walker, especially given everything that's happened in her life, she's literally the exact opposite. She's whimsical. She's like, literally, fate. <laughs> Let she's, fate decide right. it. I don't know. She's the kind of person that would roll some dice or be like, if the sun sets over here, <laughs> that means <laughs> we should get married. If it doesn't, it's not. If we throw this rock and it skips three <laughs> times, bitch, we're supposed to get married. If it skips yes, four times, we her. not. She's one of those. And I'm not I'm not upset at that personality. She's a little adorable. tethered to the ground. So, I mean, but it's good to have someone in the union be Someone's got to not be tethered because it can then, be overwhelming when, when both people are way too tethered. Right. And it's also good to have, you know, the, a dreamer in the two. So, like, have someone. Oh, who, my God. Yeah. She's totally the dreamer type. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what she is. In this instance, when it comes to Anne Lister and her desire for a wife and just wanting these fucking... <laughs> you're laughing at <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Delia Rawson's on the yes. screen. That's what happens when we keep playing the... have the show playing. What the fuck was I just saying? <laughs> Where were we? I looked over we, to Delia's we were, face I of think obvious want we of were rebels. mentioning how Anne Walker was like the dreamer type of the two. Right. So she's... I mean, she's whimsical and she's... A different type of romance, you know, because I'm not going to say that it's not a certain type of romance to be like, whatever comes out the bag, that's us, that's fate. Because there's a lot of people who find romance and magic in these types of things, especially if the paper you pulled out was the answer you wanted. It's like, haha, kismet, we did it. But for Ann Lister, she's like, no, 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 I need data. I need facts. I need affirmations and then reaffirmations. I need to make sure triple time that this is what you want. Not what do you mean? Fate. How does that work? And so it's interesting how interesting and unfortunate in this time that their differences are creating conflict. I mean, really, it's Ainsworth creating the conflict, but the drama around Ainsworth is bringing up these parts of Ann Walker's personality that Ann Lister will find trying. So any overall statements you want to make a, you want to make about faith or misandry? <laughs> I feel like these are the <laughs> major themes of this episode. Faith well, when you can't trust... Uh... Man, and 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 it's not to say that you know there's not a belief or a strong faith, but in either of the two women, you know that it exists. You know, on Lisa has been struggling with her, her, her. What what does she call? It? I think she calls it. She's like you know what a what a trick you know God has played, giving her such oh, a yeah. like a bold a intense, right, a bold spirit. So she knows. She's blessed with the jaunt. She knows that she has it within and that it was bestowed for her to do something with. I mean, is she looking to, you know, deliver any women? Who knows? I mean, if they find themselves in her or her knee, they will, <laughs> if, they, if they find Can't, themselves on her knee, yeah, then, oh then knee. so be it, you know, and cur across whatever may happen, may Listen. happen. <laughs> I mean, I just thought of like three new shirts anyway. And then you think of the walking, I don't want to say walking contradiction, but if you think of the glory that was to be and Walker, even with the knowledge and understanding that they were journals and they were burnt, you see what I wouldn't give for those journals. Where are my queer witches and magic makers to be like, we must conjure. And Walker's journal. Right. Bring Get it all back the soot and the dust. Plane, and turn it right? back into just, mud. Just like and reverse form it from the right. Y'all want to meet up like um, practical magic? Right. Reverse the ash. Focus, focus. Put it back into paper form. I'm just saying. 
And we see that she's had this life where just as she were to be introduced to high society, right. she loses her parents. Like random things that would have put her in the eye of a larger public. Mm-hmm. With the wealth that she did get gain after, you know, her parents died, um, it would have put her as the again that she would well, have been really big... too after her brother because she would have had some but it was the brother that i mean that's kind of like Anne in a certain way like yeah. oh here's the last male to do anything so yeah, i guess so well it's off to you now us. right uh so yeah and and all save this pastor who i guess could you imagine if he had to eulogize the parents and the brother like i don't want to <sighs> say that that's how he at least knew and he was the first one to find out oh so that means she gets all the so all the money is hers. Her, probably him and Dr. Kenny, the two of them together <laughs> saying, you know, if she were to, you know, just sort of lose all the money because of some, you know, hysterics. Like, Listen, you know. I don't want to get into all of the angry things that pop up for me post like late life and Walker and people who took advantage of her because that I'll just start yelling and <laughs> we're not even so, two so parts of them so we can muse about this, that. This is a thing that happens. I'm I'm angry okay, to if you're asking see me, it come to pass. If, if you're asking does. me if her family continues to try to manipulate and take advantage of her like for many years to come, the answer is yes. <sighs> yes, that's... If, you're, if your question is do, do the Walkers uh, and the Priestleys and whoever else ever stop being shitty? No. Uh, no. Nope. And... Um, and Walker outlives Ann Lister, so. <laughs> I'm I not really going to get emotional. I'm not going to get emotional. All right. I'm, oh, this episode is emotional enough that I cannot go to my forward things of what makes me emotional. Because see, like, even when I went to the library and I was looking at Ann Walker's letters. And, you know, the letters that are in there in that book, Miss Lister of Shipton Hall, selected letters, 1800 to 1840. You know, it has to do with the later part of their life. And just, you're just like, oh, <laughs> Why are heads so annoying? You burning gay shit. And then I had to like just have a moment of silence for all the lost queer content. For all the hateful hats. For all the people jealous of Grubbles throughout history who saw a gay jaunting about doing their thing. Happy as fuck. And they were like, you know what? They I had can't to stand. insert themselves. I can't right. stand this happiness. Where's your shit? I'm going to burn it. I'm going to try to make sure no one knows you existed. And, you know, it just brings me back to how grateful... I am, and I know many quiz are that they could not do that to Enlister's legacy like they obviously did it for Ann Walker and so many others who we will never know for sure what their first and last names were because they that's water. Give me the booze. See, that's why I can't I can't stand to see men manipulate with, you know, their false doctrines. You know, we're less blessed because, you know, we have these abominations jaunting amongst us <laughs> all happy and content and not and not uh, <laughs> infecting anybody with their jaunt they're literally just literally living just there. jaunting just trying to jaunt and do life <laughs> just trying to jaunt in peace but yeah so it's weird to that place obviously if you guys can't tell by how this episode is going so far it is the angsty place it is that triggering place of things where you're just like ugh, and oh and relates to ann walker because well how can we not feel for our baby gay? You know what? We should shout out our uh, our Patreon. Little, little cuddly group of Patreons, the Bulldogs. Oh, yes. <laughs> we got in the last couple of days. Little, I would like to call them the three Grubble Tears because there's three of them right now. And, and enjoy the one update that's up there. But there'll be another one. There soon will be before. More. Ultimately, there'll be another bump or blurb. 
Yes, probably after likely, major Mariana uh, related. There'll be really minor edits actually for the content that you'll be receiving because that's where you are in the tier. That that's good. Quit. Oh, you know what you wanna you wanted me to mention or to remind you is that you're musing when we were rewatching episode one earlier about what if Marion's political views were affected yes. by her hanging out with Mr. Abbott yes, and his no, new money. <laughs> I strongly believe that that is where it comes from, where he's got that working man mindset, which is why she feels that she needs to talk from the point of view of the working man, because that's probably what she pretends to care about and listens to. No, she probably actually does like this guy. But yes, she's she's been into carpets for longer than we've all been made aware. <laughs> she just decides to make everything about Shibden in front of Anne because... She's trying to keep, that's like how she it goes. said, that's, that's Caligula off of her trail. <laughs> <laughs> so when she threatened to uh, have to produce an heir, she was only half kidding. She already yeah, she had her mark kidding. in mind. You know, it wasn't their first uh, outing to tea that we've seen on screen. So it's it's been a thing that has been happening. She mm. only recently dropped the name of Hoomst. Hoomst to uh, the other uh, N. Yeah. It said, please don't tell the jaunty <laughs> like, Keep that shit to yourself, please. And Aunt Anne was like, can I do that? Cannot oblige you. Cannot keep to those promises because they're not really promises. But, but and I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> if I were Aunt Anne, I'd be like, I'm so disappointed you even asked that of me. Do you know me? Have you been paying attention to the relationship I have with your sister? Not happening. Do do find a better way to beat these carpets, mind you. When you <laughs> like, I, I would be asking the shadiest oh jaunty God. questions. So you know, um, you know, Eugenia's been really suffering. So I'm just looking for a way to make uh, <laughs> Eugenia. <laughs> she's really been suffering. So I'm just looking for an easier way that she's she can suffering. kind of beat these rugs. I, I mean, I hear that you're an expert <laughs> on the subject. Like, oh tea. my God! And then look in front of like all the help, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh so mm, not to make fun of anybody yes! <laughs> who doesn't need a feral british baby yelling every once in a while all right all right all right shall we go to our first segment script breakdowns with sally which is our one of our latest additions to the historical nightcaps which is where we go through the release scripts for Gentleman Jack, written by Sally Wainwright, and discuss some of the notes and stuff and things put in there, and especially when we find them, deleted lines and scenes and moments, because I have to, I have to assume they shot the shit. And like most artisans, they looked at it and were like, oh, never mind. Or I'm changing my mind. I'm just saying we need that. Right. I'm going to keep reiterating that we need that. I'm just, I need for people at BBC and HBO to figure it the fuck out. Give us all the content. We'll pay extra money. Actually, if you think we about will. it, we're like near queer for HBO. <laughs> so they should already keep in mind that we want, nay, we demand. Oh my gosh. You know it what is I, a hate crime. Remember when you to said withhold. when you said near queer in the wild today and Het was like, what what do you mean? <laughs> oh yes. Yes. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, that joke's not for you. Right. All right. I'm sorry. Oh. If you ever watched Gentleman Jack, it's still not for you because you'll have to read the books. But <laughs> yes, that was fun. That was funny. Oh it was very God. fun because the look was like, just what? It's like, <laughs> just don't, don't, don't. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Okay. All right. 
So script breakdowns with Sally. Well, the opening scene in the script is basically the same as we saw with the Priestleys and... They, they all think I'm a fool. <laughs> <laughs> they think I don't know what crumbling is. They said, oh, you didn't see anything, but I saw enough. I saw... <laughs> oh, Mrs. Priestley. The blinds were down in the middle of the day. Who <laughs> does that but lesbians? <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah, so that pretty much happens the same way. In addition to the following scene after the credits with Aunt Anne Walker, where they're still talking that shit. Although I did notice that there's a line that, you know, when Aunt Anne Walker is like, oh, Nibs. it says discreetly. And I'm like, discreetly? That was <laughs> to too discreetly. Was it discreet? The, the servant that's on the other side of the estate that can't hear it anyway? Because discreet where? Did you see discreet? No, that's like saying Miss Priestley was discreet when she was saying, when she was uh, talking to... The visitor for Anne, when she was like, oh, yeah, they, they oh, went to yeah. another doctor in York. Yeah, if you ask me, she just was looking for an excuse to get away from the family. Like, that wasn't discreet. That was just that that was blatant. Was, that was blatant. <laughs> that was blatant and rude. Yes. So definitely not discreet. That was the energy here. That could be scene. something they just did like, you know what? Let's fuck discreet. Let's just go for rude bitch. <laughs> okay. And scene. Action. But so, yeah, that's there. And I did like that I found a confirmation of what we speculated about and just what seemed obviously there. Mr. Priestley shushing his wife because she talks too much about ah. lesbian activities. And so in the script, there's a note that's like Mr. Priestley mimes shh discreetly to his wife. Again, that was actually discreet. Like that was discreet. That he was, was like, girl, could you? That was. Could you not? <laughs> Can you just? God damn it. It's been 16 hours. <sighs> All right. Oh, Right, 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 right. You know what? Time to re-up on my brandy. Ooh, because I did finish a whole, uh, you know, we're not even that deep into this episode. I blame you and your pre-drink, your pre-drinking, pre-game, gaming for the nightcap. I inspiration earlier. That was, I was just... No, I, I, I understand, but I'm going to add some brandy inspiration. I mean, should I do the gin? <laughs> well, it's a little dangerous. I never even said what I was drinking, but y'all, brandy and gin. How about that? But yes, what I'm excited to get to is a deleted scene that is in this motherfucking script. And it has to do with, can you guys imagine what we were talking about last episode? The Gruber. The Gruber. The entry. So Sally. (laughs) Sally. Sally. Sally knows all about the Gruber. And she was like, she was like, there's so much Ann Lister jaunty goodness. What do I keep in the script? I can't keep it all. But what I love about this, I know, I know jaunty Ann is on the screen with her low pony smoking a cheroo and we're probably gonna have to pause this because i'm gonna keep looking over here like what are you doing saran jones um but yes 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 sally clearly i mean she already said 20 years 20 years trying to bring a project to life girl that's obsession she already said she was obsessed but now we know now we know that she has read all the things all the things several times and she was like how do i get this leads um bit into the show i just need to i just feel like people need to know the extent of the grubbles these women were on and for whatever reasons probably running low on time especially given what they cut out that was still in the bbc version that probably was a real thing <sighs> but i was so pleased when i saw that in the script i really was to have the confirmation because i mean we we keep saying all right there's a distance there is a time it takes time to get from here to here they're taking a trip they're riding together all right, let's go to York, okay? So what shall we do for these hours that we have? Hmm? What what no. shall we do? What no. shall no. we do? Hmm. 
I am asleep. That's me shouting grumble <laughs> as I grab the brandy. Like a proper, a proper junk lady. Yes. Yes. Okay, let me... <laughs> Let's get to the shits. You know what? Before we do that, let's just talk about the quick notes because we should about our ladies as it relates to that sexy, romantic gruble scene we get at the very beginning. At the very beginning of the episode when they're still in oh, York. Yes. And so evidently they were staying at the Black Swan Inn in York. I like it. I'll probably put that on something because why not? The Black Swan The Black Swan Inn. Inn. I'm into it. And it's like the sound of Anne and Anne making love takes us into the next scene. <laughs> it reads... Interior, bedroom, Black Swan Inn, York. 1010, autumn, 1832. Anne and Anne in bed, both in the throes of delight as the morning sunlight peeps through the shutters. It's clear they've been at it for ages because they've both worked up a sweat. Their night things are wet through. It comes to an end, all very passionate and tender. Uh (laughs) It finishes, Anne Walker is just as starstruck with Anne Lister as ever. And Anne is really starting to fall for this shy little woman who clearly thinks the world of her. And of course, Anne checks her watch to see how long they've been at it so she can write about it in her journal later. <laughs> Shame! Hey! hey that's, that's, I mean, it's the truth, but... It's the truth, but at least but she, she takes she... notes! How is she supposed to get better if she doesn't know what she did? How is she supposed to know? She's a real student of her craft. Right? Okay. Dear Heads, I hope your partners are as studious Stop to it. their craft. Stop. What the fuck? I mean, we know it's not true, but... <laughs> we know it's not true where's that remember we never found that woman we mentioned her on the well well villanelle when we were talking about killing eve but remember that woman who looked like a proper soccer mom but she was really a sex ed oh yes and she was ultimately the the biggest misandrist in hiding that i'd ever seen when she was explaining sex to the heads and she was like actually <laughs> and i was like yo what i know a part of me is gonna try to find that on facebook really quickly because I'm, i remember that you that was I, beautiful. it was it was beautiful and when Anne is concerned about whether Anne, Anne Lister, when she's concerned about whether or not Anne Walker be a man keen or she has experience with men, it's like, girl, you smart. You know medicine. You know about the body and the anatomy. Why are you concerned about what she's doing with men? Why? Because you're, you're, you're reading the patriarchal propaganda of medicine that says you ought to be concerned. But realistically, scientifically, that's not true. That's fake news. Wait a minute. Oh, you found her. Bitch! Okay, sorry, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you know how I knew it was her? It was basically like a soccer, a soccer mom looking uh-huh. woman with a big vagina puppet. Yes. And I was like, that's her. Yes. She's teaching sex ed. All right, let's see how much of um, this we can play. But uh, this is a total side road, you guys. But it actually applies to Ann Lister and all the fretting she'd be doing about heterosexual sex that she ought to not be doing because most of the heads are doing it wrong. And by that, I mean the men, the men. And we found this lovely woman. Well, I didn't. I remember. I forget who sent this to me, but perhaps you guys have heard it. Perhaps not. But she has a very enlightening, interesting, scientific, accurate, coded in misandry, but all facts take on, well, sex. So if your clitoris is internal, it's about four inches across. Okay. So you have this great big organ in your body that literally its only job is to orgasm. That's crazy. So if you put your fingers <laughs> that inside like, of the vagina, crazy, the laying on their back, right. and you go in about yes. an inch and a half, Sorry. two <laughs> I'm watching her hand, and it's like, like she took the... Like no, yes, she's, she's teaching. Right. She's teaching. Each one, each one, teach one. Each one, teach one. Make sure everyone gets a decent grubble out in these streets, man. Now I want you to be a penis. Take two fingers and go down into the vagina. Okay. Do you see how you're sure. missing Did everything? Did you feel the G yeah. spot? No. No. It the angle like is nothing. totally wrong. 
Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> right. Head of the clit, most sensitive part of the body, 8,000 nerve endings, mm -hmm. twice as much in a much smaller package. Damn. Now you know me better. So, so why they're not okay, getting so twice the orgasms? Girl. I mean, we know why. We, we know <laughs> why. <laughs> it starts with P and ends with H. Your vagina can't do that. Exactly. It literally does not orgasm. So, so again, it's like, damn, for real? Genitals for pleasure. Right. Your genital is your clit. So if no one's stimulating your clit, you're not actually having sex. Okay, wait, wait, <laughs> now, wait, let's pause the video. Let's pause that, the videotape. Let's pause the videotape that because she that. gets even more ridiculous. And that's that on that. And that's that on that. Tyrone's. But she does have another savage line for these motherfuckers before we, we, we have this ridiculous medical endless to fact detour. We want to make sure that we're spending at least 60 to 80 percent of the time that we're having sex <laughs> she's doing she's place. doing the lord's work yeah, crazy. 60 to 80 percent and that, those hookup, are conservative estimates 11 percent chance of orgasming Damn. if you go on a lesbian hookup you have a 93 percent chance okay wait a minute this is the gay agenda this is what mrs Priestley is concerned with this right here is the actual gay agenda just that those facts she said what did she say she said if you're in a heterosexual <laughs> situation you got a motherfucking 11 percent chance out here of catching a oh you were mrs Priestley's mr wick closed nevers situation if you are in a lesbian relationship she said 91 percent yeah i think she said 93 yeah <laughs> <laughs> she said look do you know what those odds increase like do you i just I feel how do you <laughs> I feel for the people who are watching this video and are seeing hand gestures they've never made before going so I gotta oh my god that's sad so I gotta... <laughs> that's sad may no woman let them try their new I'm, newly learned skills I'm, I'm just saying Ooh. Right, I'm looking for that one line. You know the line I'm looking for. Where she, I feel like she ends out the video with it. So if no one's stimulating your clit, you're not actually having sex. Bitch! You're just letting someone jack off inside of you. Okay! See? Okay! See? Pause the tape! Pause the tape! Pause the tape! That was the line. Pause the tape. We prevailed. Booze be damned. We found the line. <laughs> we found it! Okay. Where is this woman, this saintly woman, to give this information to the masses across the globe? She's a witch! Bad the witch! Bad the witch! What does she mean you can't get pleasure from just penetration? What absurdities. Oh my god. What a detour. Um, but actually, I've been wanting to bring that up because it's so relevant. Because I, this is where us quiz in the modern times have the benefit of science. Where Ann Lister did not. Because she does a lot of stressing about the patriarchy and men getting to women and all this stuff. And it's like, girl, literally, you have nothing. Nothing to worry about. With as dedicated as you are to the Gribbles, absolutely nothing. <sighs> what was that last scene we left off of from the script before we detoured into sex education? Uh, we've done the Priestley's conversation. We've done the bed. Oh, we've we were reading. Okay, we were. We didn't, we, we didn't leave the bed, right? We were reading the description where Sally uses terms like she was taking notes. Well, this is what was interesting because we didn't see this. Like the, I mean, maybe they were trying to give us the impression that the ladies were sweaty, but <laughs> we've seen Anne a bit more dirty and moist than oh, that. So I don't know have. if they were actually spritzing the water on their faces. But the description in the in the script was basically like, you know, their night things are wet through petticoats. <laughs> okay, I understand that that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm just saying we gays would have appreciated the wet through. Like we would have yes. appreciated. 
seeing that the the fabric was stuck to the skin yes. because of all the sweating that was happening. We would have appreciated knowing for a fact, despite what we already knew from our gay information, that they'd been at it for hours. But we love the fact that Sally put into the scripts. They've been at this for hours, clearly. Clearly. Their their clothing is all the way soaked. Uh, I guess she was trying to find a balance between believable and ridiculous because... What? Depending on how soaked a garment is, it may have to come off. Depending of the tier of likes. Maybe they just did do like a spritz. You know, that's something I was tickled to find. I haven't mentioned it yet because it's not especially relevant. But I guess kind of as we get to these more fraught times was that um, that was a thing that could be explained in the show when, you know, if anyone has criticisms about, well, how... How saucy are these love scenes and no, is it is it bright? Like maybe we should have something a little bit more revealing because, hey, they're having sex. No, they were pretty much naked. They're pretty much naked. But there are entries in in Enlister's Diaries to go with the fact that her keeping her clothes on was a bit of I mean, it was a physical barrier, but it was also a type of commitment barrier, Um, a line she did not want to cross until she had a wife. So oh. there are there are entries in the diary where she, you know, one in particular I'm thinking of where she mentions how his oh, grubbling went great as usual. <laughs> Fantastic. She says it might have been the best we ever did it. But yeah, there's an entry that's basically like Ann Walker expressed again how she wanted to be near me, near skin to skin contact where she's like skin to skin, bitch, skin to skin. And Ann Lister's basically like, oh, when when you wifey, we could talk about that. well me wifey we can talk about you seeing skin to skin getting skin to skin but i really don't feel like it's proper for us to be skin to skin when we're not married so that was the thing i just feel like the scripts show that sally wainwright is way cheekier than we were giving her credit for before we saw these scripts and so after we leave that scene oh yes now we get to the whole this deleted bit from Leeds. So this can be found on page 10 of the script and it starts exterior, interior. Anne Walker's carriage, Leeds, autumn, 1832. Anne and Anne sit side by side eating orange segments, both thoroughly engrossed in one another's company. And Lister, when we get back, we'll get the maps out and plan the route thoroughly. We'll be in Rome for Easter and by June, we can be back and in Scotland with your sister and the children. Anne slips into voiceover as they gaze at one another. Okay, so... She says this to Ann Walker, and then we're getting one of those things where you were laughing about when we were rewatching episode one. And you were like, is she thinking to herself? Thought I to myself, as soon as Marion starts talking, and she's like, I mean, yeah, I could, I could channel. I could tune the <laughs> fuck out on this. I don't need to pay attention. And so this is what she's musing in her head. Surely she cannot go on with me as she does and mean to say no on the 3rd of April. Then back to the speech to Ann Walker. And I've been thinking about when we come back to settle. Crow Nest is very elegant and stylish, of course, but there have been listers at Shibden for 15 generations and between, two, and between two and three centuries. For me, it means so much if you'd come and live with me at Shibden. And Ann Walker is written as saying, what about your aunt and your father and your sister? And Ann Lister says, they'll be delighted. And look, you'd have more independence there with me from the tribe. And dare I say it, more clout. Socially, we'd have our own wing and the upstairs. And I think, and they have a note here that says genuinely, we could be really very cozy and very happy there together. There's a script note that says they're gazing at one another and Walker remains starstruck, gazing into Ann Lister's brilliantly intelligent face. They melt into a lovely orange flavored sticky kiss. It becomes more passionate. Parentheses, the picnic lunch is abandoned. (laughs) Hey, it'd be like that on the grubbles. Eventually they come up for air. 
Ann Walker, who taught you to kiss like that if you never did anything like this before? Oh, Walker, Walker, <laughs> Walker. There's a script note that says she doesn't say it like it's a deal breaker. It's just out of interest, really. But it takes Ann Lister slightly unawares. After a slight hesitation, Ann Lister replies, nature. <laughs> Why? Twice they've denied me nature. Nature being your guide. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, thank you for these script notes. And so after Ann Lister replies, nature, in a voiceover, it's added that she says, it struck me that I might ask her the same thing. <laughs> so we oh. on the man key. We on, we on those oh. little bits that they were trying to, they were thinking about including. She says out loud, I did wonder. And then Ann Walker's like, what? And, and Lister replies, if you'd ever, in parentheses, a suggestive whisper, play tricks with another. <laughs> and Ann Walker's like, who? And you know what Ann Lister says? Catherine Rosen. So this confirms what I was saying that Sally was like, yo, let's and definitely instructed Saran to play it the way she did with like, oh, jealousy is about Catherine because it was real life. And as we've seen in the entries, that was that was real life. That was something she was actually concerned with. Whoa. And but look at this response they give Ann Walker in the script and Walker parentheses bursts out laughing. (laughs) Good Lord. No, Catherine's very dot dot dot. And then the script note says, what's the word? And pulls a mincing little face. And then Lister replies, what? Uptight? Straight-laced? Boring? And the script note adds, mm, they're both nodding in agreement. And then they both laugh and melt into another smooch. And this in turn leads to Ann Lister's hand heading north up inside Miss Walker's thick knitted drawers. <laughs> Again! Again! This is the Leeds Grubble! This is the Gruber! This is the Gruber! Where's... I gotta get out of this so I could... Let us rejoice. It just, it just feels so good. That's to be really intense right. applause. Let me, let me do another one. Let us rejoice. It just feels so good to be right. We will, we will grow. Grow, bo. grow bo. We will, we will grow. Grow, 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 grow Congratulations, ladies. These, these are the gays across the globe, through space and time, yeah. cheering for your groover. Fantastic. I know this episode is real turned. Um, apologies. And we hope you guys are having fun because, wow, <laughs> I've already lost track. Okay. I could honestly continue to scream a little bit more about this, but I will I will not. And besides that, that's where it ends. And so you guys, I think this is fucked up. Like, sure, sure, sure. We can't waste time. Sure, sure, sure. Pick the most important scenes. But wow, we missed out on this fucking scene. A I would have loved scene. to see it. Proof. Because I knew in my heart of hearts that. Me too. This was. This is the only thing to be true. My heart of hearts. The only thing to be true was this the group. Right, this is the only thing to be <laughs> you, true. And you can't if have two lesbians on the go and not include a grubble, <laughs> is what you're saying. It's just uh, it's a lot of character building that we were missing on the cutting room floor. And so it just ends up them pulling up to Cliff Hill. Were you about to say something? I was going to say, she messed her pants. No! <laughs> She sure did. She oh, did. I know. <laughs> That's a fucking compliment to Ann Walker, I feel like, by the way. Because if Ann Lister was so fucking pressed to consistently ask a bitch, well, where did you learn? What did nature fucking show you, bitch? How do you, how do you know what to do with your lips? That's like a really shitty way of saying, I think you're a great kisser. <laughs> Surely you right. did not come out of the womb with these skills. Some man has given them to you. Ugh. 
But that's all compliments to Ann Walker. In the script, they also make mention of things we already definitely read in the scene of Aunt Ann Walker for when they call on her when they're back from York. Basically, little snide things like she can definitely tell that Ann Walker's better, but uh-huh. she'll never let them know it. Right. Shit like that. I'm afraid I have to burst your bubble. It also does note the fact that in that scene was the first time Aunt Ann Walker has spoken to Ann Lister directly. Ooh. And like uh, the thing I said where the letter was in black, the edges were in black, and that means bad news. And We miss that, but I feel like people need to bring that back. Colors to indicate what you can expect from this thing. Oh, I did take note of another little script note that was added for that same scene where Ann Walker, she's all happy, and then the letter, and then everything's different. And the script makes a note to say after she takes the letter and her legs turn into jelly that Ann Lister grabs Ann Walker to stop her from falling. Aunt Ann noticed this effortless physicality between them and then the obvious uninhibited tenderness between them. And this is why she offered no aid and no quarter. She's a fucking Do you have any bastard. smelling salts or some brandy? Well, they had another note that was curious after the whole smelling salts. We hear she'll be buried on Monday or whatever day it is. Because in the script, it has after the statement from Ann Lister, do you have any smelling salts or brandy? It says Ann Lister nods at the bell pole and Ann goes and tugs on it, then gets straight back to Ann's side. So it seems like that action was entirely eliminated from the script because I'm pretty sure there's no motion made to get anyone or anything to help Ann Walker. And then the script notes continue. This is shocking, of course, but Ann Walker's reaction is quite extreme nonetheless. Parentheses, we and Ann Lister might begin to suspect there's more to it, but what? And then there's another note that says, instinctively, Ann, little Ann, baby gay Ann, reaches to touch Ann Lister's glorious face. I love how every time they're like, they're describing Ann Lister, they're like, glorious, wondrous. Glorious. Impeccable. But yeah, so uh, to touch Ann's glorious face, but Ann... Lister intercepts her hand, parentheses, tenderly, so as to not make too much of a display in front of Aunt Ann Walker. Then it has Ann Lister going, shh. And it says, of course, Aunt Ann Walker does notice this. And then we have that line coming in from Aunt Ann. They're burying her on Monday. So that's different than how it's played in the show, for sure. Yes. More attention paid to Aunt Ann and her reactions, which <laughs> I'm not mad they took that out. I don't, I don't fucking care about well, Aunt Ann Walker. Right. So the next note that I found interesting was the note they made about the Lawton estate when they were introing the scene after Anne and Steph have the conversation about Anne Walker and we get to see Mariana at home with Charles. So you thought that was her daddy. And that's, I guess, indicative of the uh, of the age <laughs> situation ship that's happening there. But a years in between the two. But, you know, someone chose something and hey. She stands by her choice, even if they're dramatically eating breakfast uh, 20 yards from each other or right. like 17 meters, whatever, however the conversion is. So, yeah, here's the description for Lawton Hall. It says a big, elegant monolith of a stately home standing in acres of elegant manicured greenery. So a fly ass crib, light crow nest, presumably. Which the irony is not lost on me. And then it says Mariana Lawton eats breakfast with her husband, Charles Lawton, 61, a heavy man and nearly 20 years older than her. They sit at opposite ends of a long dining table in silence, which suits them both down to the ground. Oof. Interesting Oof. statement. Down to the ground. Oof. All right. 
Then it adds a little bit down that Charles recognizes something about his wife's manner when she's reading a letter from her lover. Now, here's where I got a little vexed, just personally. You let, I'll, just, I'll finish reading it. You tell me what your organic reaction is. When she's reading a letter from her lover, he tries not to be interested in anything to do with his wife's overwhelming girlfriend, but he can't resist. Oh, uh, I feel like, uh, I don't know where the resistance would have been hidden. I Fuck resistance. I'm bothered by Sally's terminology. Lover makes sense girlfriend does not that's what got me fucked up i was trying to see if he's gonna fuck you up it didn't fuck you up that's fine i read the script and i was like sally why are you referring to mariana lawton as Ann Lister's girlfriend why are we doing that that's the kind of shit you do when you're 25 right. and you're foolish and in love that's not what you do when you're 40 and the bitch is married lover sure lover yeah that makes sense girlfriend i'm sorry guys that's I'm yelling, but it made me mad that is a definite dub. Okay, take that rest of gin to the head for Ann Walker, <laughs> whose candle is lit. You're like, ooh, vapors. And so, right. So after that ridiculous note about her girlfriend, it says that he can't resist. Like he basically can't resist trolling his wife. Look at what Sally writes at the end of this part. She's like, his words hit home. Mariana knows Anne is only selfless when she's in love and hitting on someone. <laughs> they, they said... Snobby ass Ann Lister only got selflessness for the bitches she's interested in grumbling or is currently grumbling. And I don't, that's, that's not that a lie. Kinda, that's that kind of fits. That's truth. Thought I to myself <laughs> as my uh, uh, lady's maid barely keeps up a pace behind me as she looks like she's about to burst into tears and blow chunks at the same time. And I could care less. Yeah, there's also some notes made about how Thomas is obsessed with what he did. He's racked by guilt. He's obsessed with the murder he did. And I'm like, bitch, why? Like, your daddy was a piece of shit. Like, go to church, say seven Hail Marys. You'll be aight. There's also a lovely mention of how fabulous Ann Walker's carriage is, which I just liked because we know, like we said, she got the Bugatti. Yeah, yeah. And Lister got the Toyota. And why not highlight the fact that a bitch got a Bugatti in Halifax? I'm sure not everyone got the flyest gig on the block, but one of those people it's is Ann Walker. So the cute note had to do with the conversation that Ann has, you know, when she's talking to William Bell, which is apparently the name of Ann Walker's groom, about what the fuck went down oh, right. on the road when poor Henry was thrown to the four corners with Aunt Ann Walker. And oh, a note. Willy nilly. Oh, willy nilly. It basically has to do with the language. When he's like a pot to piss in because of the times and whatever, that using language like piss, foul language, would have been not what you do around a lady, a proper lady. And that Ann Lister clocks this, but she doesn't mind it because of course she likes to be talked to the way <laughs> uh -huh. men talk to. Uh -huh. I'm like, yeah, bitch, who doesn't love a bit of vulgar language? Oh, there was a note in that, in the script where Aunt Anne Lister and Jeremy and Marion are all talking about Abbott and whatever. And when Aunt Anne says, but he makes carpets, Jeremy. <laughs> they have the note that she said delicately. And I'm like, that wasn't <laughs> delicately. It was like, not quite dismissive yet. Not quite subtle. <laughs> I guess they, they redefining delicate. Right. This is also a bit of a, a scene that we did not see entirely because actually, no, just gone. Because this is after she closes out with it's death. Anything to do with death. It terrifies me. And then it has interior Ann Walker's bedroom, crow nest at night. Ann and Ann are in bed, illuminated by the moon. Ann Walker is asleep. And Lister, who is wide awake, has the uneasy feeling that there is more to this than she's yet fathomed. She touches Ann Walker's hair gently. Without it being the big wham-bam, head over ears, falling in love, and Lister usually experiences, she is not realizing that she has developed big feelings for this vulnerable little woman. And that's interesting, but I'm like, they took it out. 
I guess, because we don't really see that per se. But when they say big wham, bam, head over ears, falling in love and Lister usually experiences, I'm like, but with whom? That was Mariana. She doesn't really have that with Mrs. Barlow per se. I mean, Mrs. Brown could sort of compare in that sense, but it's just an interesting notation that they decide to make for Ann Walker. <laughs> Were you about to say something I couldn't tell? I thought I was. I think this rum's just got me in a place. This is, what even is this again? It, I said rum. It? <laughs> it's gin. It's Gin's gin. got me in a place. <laughs> it's gin. There's other cool little things like notes about Anne being extremely sensitive to Anne and Lister being extremely sensitive to Anne Walker's mood the next morning after she first finds out about Mrs. Ainsworth being thrown from the carriage. And there was also an interesting note about the Priestleys in the script notes because when it describes the awkwardness of the scene after she convinces Ann Walker to to call on the priest, and she's like, but why? Why do we have to do that? The script notes that on top of it being awkward and horrible, the Priestleys made no offer of refreshments. And that's about as shady as you can get when you're inviting someone over. And there is an adorable little note about when they leave the Priestleys that even though shit is fraught, <laughs> that they're, quote, sad, but still in love. So, well, I'll take I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take that, too. And then we have another deleted scene where Anne notices John, John Booth, being sad. And it's interesting because this is not the first servant scene we've come across where it seems like they were trying to right. give the servants more stuff, but also in particular, give Anne more humanity or empathy where the servants are concerned. And I'm not entirely sure where they've cut these scenes that just seem in particular to give this idea that she just had more insight than the show necessarily does in the final cut. But this has to do with Booth. So basically, this would be after Anne and Anne leave Lightcliff and seeing the Priestleys. And Anne's like, I think that went well. And she's like, bitch, I don't... No, <laughs> it didn't. She's like, well, well enough, okay? I gotta go do work. I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> so in the script, the following scene would have been with Anne and John. And it says, Anne heads through a flock of chickens at her usual whirlwind pace. And she sees John Booth busy loading new trees onto a car to take down to the fields, to the planting area. And she's like, morning, John. And John Booth mumbles, morning, ma'am. And in the notes, it says, Anne realizes John looks miserable. Parenthesis, she might even throw us a, quote, what's up with him? Glance. But she hasn't time to inquire about that now. We linger on John's sadness. Resentment for a second. Resentment? Resentment that Eugenie lost the baby? I mean... Rese resentment over a miscarriage? She, resentment right? over the fact what? that she was trying to marry a hoe before you even had a single solitary sentence? Conversation? So yeah, and then we follow her into the house where she then looks at Cordingly, who's in the kitchen. And then, of course, after that, sees Marion. And it's like, Marion, you're back from Market Whedon. Aggressive kisses. Can we not fight anymore? Et cetera, et cetera. So that was a little... Thing. And again, something I do not think was necessary, but interesting to see. Nothing really of note to mention about the Marion and Anne scene as they half jaunted into Halifax. But I did like the phrase Sally used about them having a, a rare moment of awkward but kind understanding between the two sisters, which seemed like an appropriate time for Marion to risk. No. <laughs> to risk the oh. next thing. They're like, risk it all, Marion, for a fucking date with Abbott. Lord, I realized that... <laughs> Not any laughing matter to have a, a child that is damaged and needs things. But Sally, your descriptions, because the feral child from the coal pit who was just sitting there bleeding from the fucking head. Uh, <laughs> we saw. What's that? <laughs> What's that? What's that over there? The description of the script says, where a grubby, emaciated, sorrowful child sits nursing a bleeding head. 
That's horrible. And no one cares about that motherfucking child. The fuck? There's also a reference to Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom for when Anne goes into the coal cot, which is cute. Watch your head, mister. Okay. And motherfucking Sally refers to that child as an urchin. And I was like, wait a minute. Does an urchin, besides meaning haggard and fucking whatever, does that also be like mischievous, like problematic? Like how are, how could you call a child an urchin in a coal mine if the child is rebellious? And mischievous isn't that to be expected they they're working in a coal mine there's plenty to be upset about if you're a child oh my god but these notes they crack me up so this is minor but i also like this note too and it has to do from when we're thoroughly about to get into the angst as it relates to ainsworth and Anne is she's back over at crow nest and she's you know and walker's crying and she's like well what's what's going on and um she's like well i've had a letter for Mr. Ainsworth. And so after, in the script, they have Ann Walker delivering those lines about, he told me about his wife's last day and I think he wants to marry me. I'm pretty sure he's going to propose. The note in the script is WTF. (laughs) She didn't even write out what the fuck. She's like WTF, like modern euphemisms for this shit. And that's just perfect. That's it. I just, I liked that that Sally had what the fuck in the script because that's what we were all thinking. What the fuck? Right. What the fucking fuck? There's also a note that was basically our sentiment, and I'm sure everyone's sentiment when Ann Walker has her, I'm gay. <laughs> I've been gay this entire time speech, where she ends it with like, and I've, I've always felt a repugnance towards forming any sort of connection with the opposite sex. And they have the note in the script as, Ann Lister is baffled. So what's the problem? <laughs> Indeed. There's a great description for the early morning angst after the evening angst where it reads, early morning sunlight peeps through the shutters and illuminates the room beautifully. And Walker wakes up and Lister is sitting in a big chair across the other side of the room in her underwear. Looking miserable, parentheses, albeit beautifully and magnificently lit, she's been tearful and she's angry. As Anne Walker awakens, she realizes that Anne isn't in bed with her and she sees her across the room. There's also a notation that when... And Walker prompts her with that question of, wouldn't a lot of people think me foolish if I didn't take this, this guy, take his offer? The note is that Anne Lister wants to be fair and reasonable. As she gives her response of, yes, yes, they would. The Ralston family scene doesn't really have any real gems except for the line, we see Jeremiah willing his mother to shut the fuck up. Oh my God, are you sleeping? (laughs) Maybe. I think I'm just in a... I'm I'm talking to myself here. No, I'm in one of these. <laughs> I'm just in one of these. So I I was just saying that uh in the Ralston scene, there's really not much to say, but there's a funny line that's written that says, We see Jeremiah willing his mother to shut the fuck up. Well yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that that, that comes came across. across clear. But but she's like the but you know, I do, I will keep talking because the things she's I say. She's a matriarch. I don't know that she can the, you know, I breathed life into this room. The life that would not exist had I been quiet. No, you're right. The only other thing that's enjoyable from this is what we were speculating on with the shots to Catherine. Because they do totally do that where they're yes. like, perhaps we glimpse Catherine Rawson absorbing all this intelligently. Yeah, because she's trying to be on her grubbles yes, when she comes she is. of age. <laughs> trying to be on those damn grubbles. You head nodding over there. You head nodding hard. No. <laughs> It's, Don't hit your head on the mic. No, I'm not, though. <laughs> I'm not. We're doing good. We have just... We should be leaving the... We're almost the at the end of the chart. script. Right, right. And then we go to journal entries. So, as we almost near the end of the script, we do get a very het description of the very het meeting between Thomas and Susanna. 
who's Mr. Washington's daughter. Ew. And the little one's name is Eliza. <laughs> oh, my feral Eliza. Yes, Eliza, who loves pigs. Can I come and play? Can, can, can I play with your pigs? Touch your fucking kicks. Your kicks. Your kids. Your kids. Ig- Whoa. Ignore her. She's Fuck. annoying. She talks too much. Ignore her. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what the line in here says? And I don't know if I ever heard this in the show because maybe I just didn't. But it has Eliza is saying, it has a lovely winning personality, the pig. Better in big sister's personalities on the whole. I should think of. No offense. <laughs> what? I don't definitely think we heard that. We definitely didn't hear that. They definitely deleted that from the script. And I feel like they should have left the little baby smoke for her big sister. Because anytime your your sister's like, she's, she talks too much. The response is flippancy with the shade. Because that's what sibling energy motherfucking does. And then it has like for Thomas's entrance. Thomas is just coming down the stairs when he and Susanna clap eyes on one another. In that moment, the whole world lights up for the both of them. <laughs> Ew. I mean. <laughs> We're horrible. We're like, Ew. They, <laughs> what is this? They tried to pull focus. The show's supposed to be gay. No. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. We read a note Half. that said that they might be getting evicted and they got nervous. And then I was like, ha, just kidding. Because the way it was written, you actually can stay on the farm. And they were excited. <laughs> Let me just finish this very head description so you can get the full the full glamour because I feel like we felt that Ava Levine scared boy energy, but uh, the script definitely reiterates it. So after it's like in that moment, the whole world lights up for the both of them, despite the squalor of the Soudans world and despite the fact that the Washingtons are that much higher up the Shibden food chain than the Soudans, they both realize in that moment what they were sent for the planet for each other. What? That's gross. And also doesn't what? read. I'm happy it doesn't read. No, it, it read to me. That's why I was like, he was a boy. No, no, no. She was a girl. I mean, it read that that's what they were saying. That uh, we look at each other. Marriage, bitch. Life partner, bitch. We haven't spoken. But I can just tell from this het gaze that you and I are destined. Destined for marriage and babies. I'd be careful because I can't read. So don't and now write I'm like, is this supposed notes. to be ironic? Isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. Yeah, I really do think. Because here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Think about all the entries you've seen about Ann Lister and the Grubbles. This bitch endeavors real hard towards the Grubbles. It takes a lot of time, dedication, awareness, perceptiveness, stealing your own feelings for when bitches want to be wishy-washy and go backwards and forwards and look at how simple it is for motherfucking Thomas and Susanna. Do you see? They literally enter a room. They look at each other and they're like, bitch, you, bitch, you. But if you're gay out here in these streets, if you enlist us, you got to go through so much paperwork, emotional paperwork, and just like double check, double check, recheck, dot your I's, cross your T's, go back, remake sure, hide out from people, all this other fuck shit. God. So I don't know if that's Sally's intention to parallel the irony of how simple het romances start and how just they don't require any of this additional stuff. But just like two people of opposite genders being in the same room, looking at each other. And that's all it requires. I think that there is too much going on to be so engulfed in what will be this former murderer. Well, no, he's not full murderer. He's a full-fledged murderer. (laughs) But he will be... Susanna shouldn't be engulfed? I mean, I feel like no one at this point of those two should be engulfed. They should not be. I mean, I see that they are. <laughs> there's no reason why they. Sh- there's no. There's nothing landed, to say that they'll but work. But he's also illiterate. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> but they just met. That as well. Like love at first sight 
is a strange concept that people tried to push because I'm on Lister's side that like infatuation, attraction, curiosity, perhaps magnetism. Like I am drawn to you because I just feel like this is what it is. But love, really? The kind of love that sticks around at first sight? I believe that is impossible. I mean, I don't know what you think. Do you think love at first sight is possible? Like real, like real persistent love? Love that lasts? I think people are stubborn enough to, to not be proven wrong and saying this is a choice that they made and they'll stick with it. Does It's not the same thing as love, I don't think. So I'll go on record as to say nay, that... I don't believe it's possible. I like the magnetism as an alternative because it's like I can choose to act on this when I like, when I prefer. Who knows when that'll be? Maybe not right away. Or even if you're going to keep it a buck, it's like you look like you would waste my time. (laughs) And then some people would be into that whole let's do a random encounter thing. Maybe not in this tale. Maybe that's not the story of this boy Mm. and this girl. (laughs) Maybe that, I mean, who's to say? I just, I feel like the concept is, I understand it. I've had those situations where you see someone and immediately you're like, there's some sort of connection here. To me, it doesn't always have to be a sexually intimate connection. It can just be like a kinship that you instantaneously feel with someone. But again, I'm one of those people in the camps of that love isn't just some involuntary emotion you experience. I believe that it's also a choice. Like it's two things. It's It's the uncontrollable and the very much controllable. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, and in the top hat, uh, doing man's work. Should we pause because no, she's no, so distracting? Oh, but wait, um, oh, this I we have to pause eventually because yes. it's about to go. It's yes. about to go into waters you've not visited yet. Right. But I don't want to be yelling because of something. I'm yeah, to it's just interesting. It's just interesting. It's Watch just... your head, mom, as you get pushed because it's not electric. These kids, this is kid powered. Right. <laughs> it's kid powered by urchins, yes. according to Sally. Um, and so one of these last deleted scenes that appear in the script have to do with Anne talking to you, Eugenia, to quote to quote you, about her miscarriage. And this scene would basically happen directly after the Soudan farm scene, which, by the way, ends by making a note that 11-year-old Eliza and 6-year-old Amy chase down the pigsties, a whooping and a hollering. And we see the belt buckle again. One of the pigs just nuzzling it or treading on it. Will anyone ever spot it? So so what's left of Daddy Soudan and the girls running off to fucking stare at the pigs because they love fucking pigs. <laughs> well, I mean, but that was what she wanted to do. It was like, okay, we finished reading She was fixated. She the was... note is done. You guys about look happy. Can't see the pigs. How about, right. What about the pigs? <laughs> they need love too. Right. So this following scene that was ultimately deleted with Eugenia. And Anne Lister takes place in Anne Lister's bedroom in Shibden Hall, of course, during the day. And the notes say Anne lies awake, lost in her thoughts. She sits up and pauses, sitting on the edge of the bed, still absorbed in her thoughts. Anne Lister's tough, but nothing weakens her like the thought of being jilted in favor of yet another man. She feels shaky. She grips her throat to check her pulse, checks her pulse against a little hand on her watch. Anne remembers, parentheses, and we might see a flash of episode one, scene 27, Veer in the drawing room telling her, I shan't say no. <laughs> they oh, so really, they wrote that back? in the script. They wrote in the script where we just be saying out loud because we be feeling that energy. This is what I'm say saying no. because we know how to read and these actors know how to act. Act, actors. <laughs> You're doing phenomenal. Um, yes. So it continues. She rouses herself, goes and taps the barometer to see what the temperature is. Because if she don't know what the goddamn temperature is, is she Ann Lister? No! Then pours water from the jug 
into her basin and douses her face with it. We cut 20 minutes later. Eugenie dresses Anne's hair for the day. Anne watches Eugenie in the mirror, but Anne never quite allows her to catch her eye. Eventually, Eugenie ventures. So they say Eugenie starts this off. Hmm. And Eugenie says in French, Madam, I decided against marrying John. I prefer to remain in your service. So this is a conversation about, well, apparently she, she speaking to Anne Lister separately on her own about no longer marrying Don't John. Don't fire me. <laughs> <laughs> and the note says that Anne nods thoughtfully and then says very gently in French, are you still bleeding? You should tell me things. I can always be more help to you if you're honest with me. Well, the honest truth is, <laughs> is that you are doth sprung in the presence of your... You are doth distracted by right. the grubbles, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> because I all but fainted in front of your feet. Like, would you hand her a towel? Like, put this here. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, she's useless. Don't worry. Right. So maybe they ended up pulling this out of the show because they didn't want Anne to seem, like, disingenuous. Because it still comes across to me that she cares about the welfare of her of her servants, but not to some ridiculous place of, you know, extraordinary empathy. Because that's not where she's at. That's not what she's doing. There's class separations and they're real. All right. So the last note I will bring up here is for our misandry end that we have in this episode when Ann Lister finally gets to the, the root and mortar of what is upsetting Ann Walker and... Is comforting her while thinking of death, murder, and other things like that in her head. And in the script, they make the note that after that run of dialogue, Anne Walker cries with relief. And Lister comforts her, murmuring, shh. But we can see the anger in her eyes. Oh, that anger was in everyone's eyes. Yup. And it finishes, she's going to rip his spleen out with her bare hands. <laughs> Yo, that was the direction that Sally was like, listen, Saran, when you're, when you're trying to get to the mental space of like, what am I going to do to this man? What is the future that awaits him? Picture, imagine yourself ripping his spleen from his body Fatality. with your bare hands, Bruce Lee style. Okay, just through his skin in the body. That's what's going on. And that concludes episode four. I don't think there's a better way to end a script than with blatant misandry. Oh. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and now, now we can finally, finally get to the entries. The entries segment of this historical nightcap. I feel like we should eventually have like a tune or that goes with this segment. Right. Since we've, we've incorporated the script so it could just be, you know. There's your English accent back. Yeah, I uh, love it. Well, mm, I like, <laughs> but here's the here's the thing: the, oh the, my God. the English I don't mind so much. It's when I try to do a uh, Saudens. Oh, it's, yeah. that what you refer to as your boondocks, <laughs> Irish, Scottish, it's what the fuck, quite, Cockney. It's quite terrible. Um, <laughs> but because it's so terrible, it's lovely. Okay. All right, so in the century segment, we've got some interesting things to look at, of course, all pertaining to this episode. We get a, we'll get some more perspective backstory into this Ainsworth fellow and Ugh, ultimately, sorry. no, understandable and fine. Ultimately, it's the Ainsworth drama takes up more time in life than it does in the show, which thank God they spared us in the show that we ultimately only have one to two episodes that we really have to deal with intensely Ainsworth before 
there's other stuff that are in the forefront of, of the drama. So yeah, we have stuff there. We have some interesting perspectives on Mrs. Priestley because, you know, we get one vibe from the show, slightly different vibe from the diaries. We get our pubes entry, of course, as we get to the end of the episode. And well, there's drama, there's crying, there's grubbling, but also mm -hmm. lots of crying and sobbing. And there will also be some entries confirming Jeremiah on his bullshit, of course. And dealing with the purse, the purse that Ann Walker sends yeah. to Ann Lister to decide fate. You were curious about that <laughs> dissertation she wrote to Ann Lister, and I have it to read today so you can know what the fuck that is. And so as we did our last episode, we will be going back and forth between the book Gentleman Jack, The Real Ann Lister by Ann Shoma and Nature's Domain by Joe Liddington for entries and such and such, because as we've been mentioning, the the books choose to focus on different perspectives of the same time period. And so I find it's best to just read all the things you can for the time period and then come to conclusions as one will. And so we're getting, you know, out of September because you guys remember we were in September. September was a hot and sexy month, yes. a grubbling month. Yay for me, a September baby. But we're here to October. And there are still things happening that are fun and sexy and great. But the angst coming. We get close to Halloween and shit start turning up. The stars are going and doing something else. And I don't know what and Lister's fortune cookie said, but I bet it said <laughs> drama. <laughs> Lesbian <laughs> drama this winter. Okay. So, so ultimately, chapter seven of Gentleman Jack DeRoe and Lister opens up with what the sentiment that we experienced in the last episode where it's like, I don't want to close my eyes. Aww. Because it talks about how Ann Walker appeared largely untroubled by the potential ramifications of Mrs. Priestley's impromptu visit to Lydgate. So she didn't give a shit. <laughs> so they have a bit of Ann Walker's letter here because oh, yeah. it notes how she jumped at the opportunity as it presented itself to have open communication again with Ann. And she wrote, how little did I imagine when we parted last night that I should so soon have had the pleasure of addressing you, my dear friend. Under other circumstances, I should not have dared to take up my pen, but the plea of soliciting your advice seems at least a tolerably fair excuse. This is our thirsty sprung baby it gay is. who's like, look, I know propriety and shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know what is the legal amount of thirst in these <laughs> lesbian situations. But luckily for me, I have this other fake thing that I'm going to pretend that I really need information about by my fucking tenant. But I don't give a goddamn about my tenant. I just want to talk to you. And... uh the book adds, recognizing that Anne Walker was seeking assurances following the previous evening's intimacy, Anne Lister knew exactly how to pitch her response. Having thanked Anne for the grapes she had sent to her aunt and for the loan of the tartan cloak. And these were things we mentioned in the last historical nightcap with some entries that we paired with it. I know not when I have been out in such a storm of rain and hurricane of wind, <laughs> which last night was so strong against me that I was literally blown off the causeway five or six times. And this is that mention of the shawl we were talking about last historical nightcap that was given to her by Anne. And Lister wrote back saying, your note, my love. Oh, my love. <laughs> That's the way to do it, bitch. Your note, my love, surprises me. But surprise is not the only or the uppermost feeling which engrosses me. I leave you to imagine what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Bitch, just imagine, for surely you already know me too well to wrong in any surmise you may wish to make. Forgive me if I can hardly regret even your vexation about Collins. <laughs> Remember that it is to him I owe your note, and to him I owe this present, unexpected pleasure of assuring you. <laughs> I mean, pour it on <laughs> thick, Ann Lister. Look, right. are people giving the proper props to Miss <laughs> Ann Lister and her flirting skills? Because, wow, I'm sure there was another jaunty bitch somewhere. 
in Europe who was gay as fuck, but <laughs> were there letters? Were there letters on par? I hope so. And the book adds after these letter entries that it was amorous and direct. Quote, I wonder what she will think of this. And Lister mused afterwards. In fact, she continued, she will soon, I think, put me less and less in competition with Cliff Hill. And that's the, <laughs> the arguments about where we gonna live that we were talking about. And she adds, if I can only manage her tolerably the first night. And that's the end of Anne's entry. And the book says that so far there had been only fondling and kissing. Anne was yet to stay the whole night at Lydgate and remained somewhat insecure about her ability to sexually satisfy Miss Walker. So here we are again with the patriarchy on its motherfucking lies. And so by way of distraction, Anne Lister turned to her books. After 10 pages of French vocabulary, she read the first hundred of Sketches of India by Captain Skinner. She was, quote, enthralled by a passage that described the country's magnificent architecture. I'm not going to read about that architecture. You guys will just take my word, Aunt Troma's word, this word, that she was enthralled. It also adds that planning her next foreign adventure was a constant preoccupation for Anne. If things with Miss Walker were to stand any chances of lasting success, Miss Walker must be willing to accompany her abroad. It was not yet clear whether Anne Walker had either the inclination or the disposition for travel, but she certainly had the financial resources. And if she didn't want to spend her money, it seemed that there were plenty of members of her family who would be happy enough to spend it for her. And there's a mention after this about her cousin, Edward Atkinson, who was thanking her for lending. So this is actually a callback to episode two. Do you remember? Yes. And it's like, well, did he say what kind of, what he needed for? Was it a business venture? I don't know. Uh, did he <laughs> say anything about when he would pay you back? Right. So here's a letter from Atkinson. This is written in Dire Entry on the 11th of October, 1832, where Anne writes, She then showed me the letter from her cousin, Mr. Edward Atkinson, thanking her for her offer of lending him 500 but asking the loan of 3000 Bitch, that's more than her annual fucking 3000 How are you asking somebody for the whole shit they get in a year? That's absurd. Wrote her a copy of Answer, which she wrote verbatim, saying she had meant to give him the 500 but could do no more. Strained by her late purchases, etc., for the present. The magnitude of her expenses, uncertain for the future. So, wifey helping her deal with annoying, greedy family members. We saw this in episode two, but the book just goes on to mention that the letter to Cousin Atkinson was the first of many that Anne would dictate for Miss Walker over the coming months. Her written articulacy and verbal guidance were increasingly relied upon by Miss Walker, who, Anne noted, consulted her about her concerns in both estate fairs and personal matters. And that is from an entry written on the 17th of October, 1832. Perceiving that Miss Walker had nobody else to defend her corner, Anne was glad for now to be depended upon for help and mentions that her top priority was to arrange the visit to Dr. Belcombe in York, mindful perhaps of a conversation she had once had with Mrs. Priestley about Miss Walker's religious melancholy and, quote, tendency to mental derangement. I <laughs> mean, Oof, I just don't like the way they phrase things at this time. Mental oh, derangement, yeah. that's not cool. It continues that she sensed that Ann Walker's reoccurring lower back pain was somehow linked to her anxiety and nervousness. She felt that Steph, at the cutting edge of medicine, would be the man to unpick how Miss Walker's precarious psychological state fed into her psychological ill health. And I don't know, I, they said he was at the cutting edge, but the kind of diagnosis he gives in these books and diaries is really akin to what Dr. Kenny said. In terms of, I mean, do you remember what he was saying about having too much money? The, in the letter? No, I'm talking about Dr. Kenny now. I... When I think of money and Dr. Kenny, I think of uh, the money being a woe for Walker. Let me give you a different prompt. So I'm saying that Dr. Belcombe in the book is being described as cutting edge on the cutting edge of science. 
Ooh, certainly thought that way by Ann Lister. <laughs> but I'm saying that what is actually shown to us in the books more closely aligns with Dr. Kenny in the show. And so I didn't know if you remember that Dr. Kenny, what he said about Ann Walker, that, you know, if she basically had less money, she'd have less problems. More money, more problems. I mean, that's, that's not scientific is what I'm saying. It's not scientific. It's also not, not untrue. Oh, so wait. So you're saying not untrue for Ann Walker that she had less money, less problems? I mean, I, I guess theoretically <laughs> for her family, but I mean, in relation to her health, what they saying about a bitch? Oh, I think that that letter... And everything attached to that letter is definitely affecting her health. Uh, the Ainsworths. Uh, yeah, the but what about her people. money? Because that's the argument is that, oh, she's got so much money. And that just feels sexist to me. Because men in these times were certainly like, mall, mall, mall money. And no one was talking about them being able to have a better life if they just had less. So well, I I'm think just it's, wondering. It's having the money and then not the agency. So it's like there's this need for you, but not the need of you. Mm, so it's mm-hmm. like needing you to get to the things that they need but then they're going to put you down once they're done with you and it's like is this going to be my life the book also says that Anne's determination to take miss walker to see steph belcombe also reflected the degree to which miss walker's illness was starting to have an impact on her too her naturally optimistic character was beginning to be tested by the weight of Anne's negativity she found herself bothered by miss walker's lack of self-esteem paying miss walker a compliment on, uh, and this is a quote from this entry they're referencing, where she says, how nice, where she is saying to Ann Walker, how nice she looked in her evening gown for dinner. So, you know, back then. But evidently Ann Walker's response was basically like that, but that's proof of nothing except how blind love is. (laughs) She can't take a motherfucking compliment. Just say thank you. She can't. But she doesn't get them. That's what we said. Like, you, you can't expect someone to change behavior What's that saying? To get new stripes? What gets new stripes? A dog? A cat? An animal? A lizard? You can't get new stripes without having some time to get the new stripes. I don't know how people expect Ann Walker to be out here taking compliments. She didn't get no damn compliments. Right. From Ainsworth? You think Ainsworth was complimented to the hoe? Definitely not. And who wants his little stank ass compliments anyway? Not, not Ann Walker, that's for sure. My. Your what? To my own oh. Ann Walker. Yes. So it says that Ann Lister was upset about this. And super optimistic people can be bothered by super pessimistic people. And I think Ann Lister ultimately starts to make space, obviously, for, or perhaps not obviously to some, but for Ann Walker's issues and the fact that she really tries very hard to understand and to get her help and stuff. I don't really feel like it's a callous thing from Ann Lister. It's just what would naturally happen if you have someone who's always trying to look at the positive side that is not necessarily prone to paranoia of, oh, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Because I have friends like that where, you know, I could be looking at the the optimistic side of a thing or I'm like, oh, I want to do this or like, you know, skydiving or something like that. And you have friends who are like, but you'll die. But what if your parachute, but what if this happens? But and the just... happiest of anyone are the people who just kind of go out and do versus doing the what if and the wonder juggle right but is it in your control and that's the whole thing is that whether or not it's anxiety whether or not it's mental whether or not it's trauma based gives this extra thing that's like i'm cautious i'm anxious i'm paranoid 
I have a friend who dealt with a sexual assault and also a mugging. And one of the things that is muscle memory for her is she has to always check the door lock. She probably does it about a dozen times a day, minimum. And so that's something that's, it's not really within her realm of control. It's just sort of like, I have to do this to feel safe, to feel comfortable. So given all the trauma in Ann Walker's life, especially with how much has been outside of her control, her, yeah. which is basically her entire life, that it kind of makes sense that she'd be like, take this puss. <laughs> Everything has been out of my control anyway, so you do it. You decide. That's just how it is for me. And and Lister can't understand that shit because she's like, everything that I have or everything that I've done, all my trips, all my fancy little fucking friends, all my things, it's because I've endeavored to do it. I've made the choice to do it. I've decided to read these books. I decided to travel to Paris and across Europe. I decided to climb this motherfucking mountain and be the first person to do it. And so this is me deciding, jaunting forward. What's wrong with you? Why can't you decide? Why can't you just... Why, why can't you take my compliments? Why can't you believe me when I say you're pretty? What is going on with you? And it's like she can't fathom the reality that Ann Walker is coming from because she comes from such a different one. And at this time, there ain't no feminist theory. It's just a bunch of men writing books. So it's not like she can, it's not like she can read books from other women, a lot of them, to be like, oh, well, okay. Yes, I understand this. I understand better what Ann Walker's going through because I read this thing that helps me get into the psyche of this type of woman more. Just an interesting contrast, I think. The book also makes a point to note how different Ann Walker and Ann Lister spent their days, that Ann Lister's days were robustly productive. At Shipton, she was doing things, doing man's work, going about town, having meetings, jaunting, planning things, where a lot of times Ann Walker could wake up and just be like, I'm not with the shits today. I'm not gonna do my curls. I'm gonna wake up late. Or I'm just not feeling good. I don't want to walk out. just want to kind of be here. But the book makes some interesting notations about the trip to York and the kind of goings on and behavior that happened there. Mainly that Anne was, was flirting with someone in particular that she'd had a sexual entanglement. We've not really talked about Miss Milne, but she is a lava, a lava fail that Anne had in the past. And she evidently saw this woman upon visiting York with Anne Walker. There is a statement in the book about how she wrote to Mariana about taking Little Miss Walker to meet Steph. And the line in The Gentleman Jack, the real Ann Lister says, my taking Steph such a patient would not be taken very well hereabouts if known. <laughs> I don't think so. And it adds the stigma around Miss Walker's affliction roused a protective instinct in Anne of the nature of her friendship with Miss Walker. She revealed nothing to Mariana. Oh. What do you say? Oh, for what you mean? It's Mariana. What? Is this because you half asleep? No, 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 no. Because then it'll just be me <laughs> talking the entire entries. But why'd you say, oh, it's about Mariana? Just mad she's back. I'm not mad at all. I just, she's, she's not just bad. back. She's about the letter. <laughs> she's just, oh, right. She's not back, back. But she's, I don't know. Someone stuck a camera in her dining hall. Something happened. We see her. It's a good 40 <laughs> seconds. Well, this is just Anne writing. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, told Mariana about this trip. I ain't really... I didn't go into specifics about everything to do with the strips because if I did, it would not be taken very well, probably, which, yeah, definitely not. And so uh, it talks about them staying at the Black Swan Inn, of course, in this chapter, and that for respectability's sake, they actually booked two rooms <laughs> at the Black Swan Inn on Coney Street even though we know they were grubbling in just one. And it also adds, though the circumstances of their first joint trip away from Halifax had little to do with pleasure and would not miss out on the opportunity to catch up with friends, as well as Mr. and Mrs. Duffin of 58 Micklegate and Tibbs' sister, Charlotte Norcliffe, 
she dropped in on Mariana's sister, Harriet Milne. And so remember how I talked about how Anne fucked with all the uh-huh, sisters? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Basically. <laughs> and the book asked, yes, Anne and, well, I said the yes, but Anne and Miss Milne had undertaken a love affair some years previously. And while Anne was wary of Harriet, who had developed a fixation on her, but that's, that's actually why she's upset single white female type of story. <laughs> Got it. Fixation. And again, Anne, like, what do you expect? That even if you have someone on the two and the kids scale, mostly involved in head propaganda, they have not had a decent O. It's not happened. We went through the science earlier. It's it's not going on. Of course she's fixated. Because she's like, how did these grubbles exist? How doth I go forward? After having these grubbles, and I didn't know what an orgasm was. I wasn't aware that women could have orgasms until you came into my life, Anne. Because I really believe this is my personal idea and thought that Anne was out here giving bitches their first O's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Married or not, connected with a man or not. And if you go from the first O, the an O that's happening, and then you out here with a with an old ass motherfucker with a with a motherfucking wrinkly, crusty dick. Which according to the sex ed <laughs> motherfucking instructor, Shade. ain't nothing good. Ain't nothing good happening there. That's why Miss Mill was like playing footsie because that's what the book says, that Miss Mill was playing footsie with Ann Lister under the table. And I'm just like, good thing Ann Walker didn't know because I think she would have some smoke. She would take some yeah, of that smoke from her fight. sleeves. Right. <laughs> She'd throw hands. 19th century hands. I know I said last episode that I don't think Ann, Ann Walker could fight. I don't think she would fight to defend anyone's honor but like the honor of her grubbles because that's kind of the i mean that's the running thing is that she has indecision she has drama she has anxieties and just things but one thing she's never confused about is whether or not she wants to get it on with ann lister like except a that one time where she was like i don't know if we could fuck again which you have to remind me to get to that entry we still haven't read it yet of when <laughs> <laughs> it's not even it's not even that deep but we said we would so we have to read it because it's proof of intense grubbles. But yeah, I guess I could find that in Nature's Domain. But I'll read the quick part of the of the diary entry that's in Gentleman Jack, the real enlister, where it's like, Mrs. Milne rallied me about Mrs. W. But we made, quote, foot love under the table. Appeared uncommonly glad to see them, and nothing could get on better. Would willingly have spent the evening with them if I could. <laughs> Girl, you out here playing Fitzy. Interesting. Ann Lister is such a ah. fucking lesbian. We have a pressed bitch. We have Mrs. Milne, who who knows how many years it's been since the last O she had from Ann. So she's stressed. It's been 84 years. <laughs> since her last O? <laughs> I, I would take that as fact. <laughs> you're, you're I just, know. You're just, cradling, I, you're I'm just like, cradling the mic with a well, wry smile on your face. Yes, if only because, people could see. In my, in, oh, my ice is gone. In my mind... If I were to throw a song into this woman's heart and into her uh, her soul, <laughs> it would be, how do I <laughs> get through a night without you if I had Mariana's to live sister. without you? <laughs> what, what kind of life would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Too much booze has been had this morning. Woo! Ooh, okay. All right. <laughs> Oh, wait, okay, so yeah, this is what I was saying before when I was talking about Dr. Belcombe in real life in the books being more like Dr. Kenny. And so here's an entry that she writes um, a little bit truncated from the 23rd of October in 1832 about this meeting in York, about what Dr. Belcombe has said. Quote, nothing the matter with her but nervousness. If all her fortune could fly away and she had to work for her living, she would be well. A case of nervousness and hysteria, no organic disease. That I should be sadly bothered with her abroad, unless I had the upper hand and ought not to pet her too much. <laughs> but going abroad would do her good. And so that's like what Dr. Kenny said. 
Oh, hey, she, this. she got a lot of money. I mean, she had less and worked. Okay, there's two things happening here that upsets me. Number one, how wrong everybody is, including Anne in this situation about, well, you know, there's no organic disease. I mean, if she had less money, I mean, she probably would find something to do. And two- That sounds like hateration, but yeah. I think it's that, but also dehumanization of the poor. Because what? Yes. Oh, well, if you're rich and you're idle, then you can have all these things happen to you. But if you're poor, you're just too busy. You're too busy to suffer from depression. You're too busy to have anxiety. You're too busy to have hysteria because you're just trying to eat. I don't like it. So the whole entire sentiment of like this privileged class making decisions on health, mental health, it just seems all just out of touch. Yeah. And the book says, Dr. Belcombe's diagnosis was simple. Miss Walker had too much money and too little to do. <laughs> Insulting. What about the men? All right, let me stop. Um, right. And she had managed. This is this is this is where it starts to get extra. This is where it's like, fuck Dr. Belcombe. And they do him a favor in the show. Because in the show they make him seem smarter and more progressive with medicine than he actually the fuck is. Because this piece of paragraph ends by saying, all oh, right, Miss Walker had too much money and too little to do and had managed to think herself into being ill. Tincture of henbane was among the treatments he prescribed, along with the advice that Anne should maintain the, quote, upper hand by not unduly indulging her patient's nervous complaints. Really? Don't listen to her. Don't indulge her. Don't believe her. Don't validate her. That'll be, that's the ticket. I don't, hmm. And uh, they say it was a diagnosis typical of its time, reliant on the gendered concept of hysteria to explain away symptoms of mental illness. <sighs> Just well, I, it's, I'm grieved. It's being used as a way to silence the fair sex. Entirely. Since hysteria was basically any reason that you want to say you're, this woman is not acting the way I think she should be acting. I'm a man. And of course, I know the way women should be acting. And just, ugh. It does specify also that there is no record of Miss Walker's response to her diagnosis. But it's clear that in spite of Dr. Belcombe's dismissal of the underlying cause of her physical symptoms, that her pain persisted. Yeah, her pain persisted because it was real. Who invents pain? I ask you again, who does that? Who does that? No one. Not really. And a quick mention of an entry that is followed the next day after this visit on the 24th of, of October, where Anne notes that no grumbling happened that night because she was sore. Not feeling good. Feeling, feeling rough in her body. That's... I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to feel about it. I mean, I do know how I feel about it, which is I don't like it. But it's, I just feel like in that time, there's nothing good for me to find. Because, I mean, as I've said, I've been really into medicine and just like scientific things, it intrigues me. And really, when we're talking about medicine, <laughs> it's not until we get like 20 years into the 20th century that we start to maybe being less scary. Because when you look at what medicine was... <laughs> Woo. In the 18th century and earlier, God forbid, earlier, like if you were a woman, like it. <laughs> no, no is the answer. Uh, horrible, dire, dire stuff. So just I just just my my heart weeps for all the women who needed medical attention for the past seven centuries and just had a dude being a dick. The end, towards the end of this chapter, it says that though Steph's level of understanding about Anne and Anne's relationship, and this goes to speculation that we had about who knows about what? Who knows about the lesbian and that be going on? And we speculated that mm, Steph is related to Mariana. He should a lot of them girls been on the yeah. grubbles. He got to know something. 
even if it's not explicitly stated in the diaries. And it says that whether or not he understood or what level of understanding he had isn't clear from Anne's diary. But the fact that they were offered to extend their stay in York at the Belcombe's residence hints at his acceptance. But they ended up declining and left York on the 25th of October. With, hey, hey, the long journey back to Halifax was punctuated by a stop at Leeds and a little grubbling in the carriage. Grubber. Yeah, felt her queer, felt her queer. <laughs> Sorry, I, like I feel like we are like we're we're totally like like the sun's not out yet because we can't see it but it's it's happening oh, because people yeah. are showing up and I just wonder about those workers that hear Gruber right. they're like what is happening <laughs> they just try to there. do their morning shit oh man okay it also adds that the women talked about like how they'd spend their joint income that they were gonna buy a bed and they were counting China I've got this many dishes and bowls you've got this many dishes and bowls if we combine our dishes and bowls we've got this many and really the book in this chapter just reiterates over and over again that everything fits physical, all the energy that Ann Walker was putting out was telling Ann Lister, yes, yes. She means to say yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Even though circumstances are getting real fucked up outside of her just normal indecision and I need time to think because I'm a baby gay. Now we got Ainsworth and other bitches showing up and she's just like, okay, all this stuff here is trending towards the negative. Um, but also with everything else that's happening, I'm not I'm not to the point where I completely disbelieve this is going to fold because look at all this other happening. How can the grubbles be this frequent if it's not going to work out? But, you know, Ainsworth was a motherfucking problem. And it says, however, on the return from York, Ann Walker was greeted by news, which was to trigger a deterioration in her mental health and would prove a significant obstacle to happiness with Ann Lister. Paying a call at Cliff Hill on 26th of October, Ann Walker was handed a black-edged envelope by her aunt. It contained the news that her friend, Mrs. Ainsworth, had died, quote, in consequence of being thrown out of an open carriage. End quote. The letter and reported, and Lister, dropped from Miss Walker's fingers to the ground as soon as she had read it. So all that shit is real life, actual and factual, that we saw on the show. She got the letter, she read it, she dropped it, she was immediately just affected. Crying shame. Crying shame. But you know it's not a crying shame? The fact that the book notes that even though she was in wild, as October drew to a close, Ann Lister was still describing a very healthy sex life. I would just like to say this happened on the 27th of October. And remember what was happening on the 27th of September. There was also inspired grubble. So I just feel like the number 27 is a divine grubbling number. I've said it, ladies. Let's, let's, can we all agree? <laughs> can we all agree? Hashtag 27. <laughs> yes. So yes, and they have just a quick sentence from one of her entries on this day. Lay in bed grubbling and lovemaking till our linen was almost as wet as yesterday. Fucking hey, morning. Okay. Yesterday, wet like dew. Remember we was making those jokes? Wet like dew, morning dew. Mm, mm-hmm, wet mm-hmm. like. And this is where Sally coming from where she's like, oh, it was the, the chemise was wet. The nightgown oh, so was, was wet, drenched. Wet. Yeah. Okay, they were. Man, you have a sex with clothes on. How is it not drenched? How is it? <laughs> how is how is any other reality the reality? I mean, you unless you're doing it wrong. Unless you're doing it wrong. 93%. How are they going to do it wrong? I'm sorry. The science is. That's. <laughs> That's, oh, well, 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 didn't you remember the video we watched earlier? Yes. <laughs> the education. The 11%. There's plenty of ways to do it wrong, unfortunately. You know what? If you don't let nature be your guide. Right? If you don't fucking let Lilith and Sappho let the gay energies, the lesbian energies run through you to let nature be your guide, you might be lost. So it's interesting, too, in the book, Gentleman Jack DeVille and Lista, because there's like two conflicting things in Mrs. Priestley. Like she's still annoying, but she's not as intensely annoying. As she comes off in the show, and I just think because in real life she really wanted those damn grubbles, and there's only yeah, we, we so much animus. You're right. 
when you want the grubbles. When they talk about reporting on their trip to York, it says that Ann Lister told Mrs. Priestley about the consultation with Dr. Belcombe and his advice that, quote, Miss Walker ought to get off and leave all pother behind. You know, travel. And apparently Mrs. Priestley had a, they say, perceptive reply. But I think it depends on who was in her ear. But basically she was like, oh, she take that shit with her. You think she gonna leave the, the pother behind, the stress behind? No, she's taking it with her in her sleeves, Ann Lister. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But this was all about a large part of Ann Lister just trying to stay popular with the family. She's like, I'm trying to wife this bitch, which means I need to be on the best terms with all these motherfuckers, the whole fucking tribe. So fine. I don't see how anyone could be confused about these bitches being hot for each other. It's so obvious. So obvious. Because if you are as cautiously optimistic as Ann Lister, if you are somewhere in the back of your mind, like, I don't know, is this another veer? And you grubble that frequently. It's attraction. Right? Like, that's I mean, that's magnetism. Point, that's right. We haven't done this in six hours, and I'm having issues. <laughs> Which is pretty gay. That's, that's gay behavior. Here's a mild entry from the 31st of October. Where she's just out here pressing a bitch for an answer sooner than six months. It's <laughs> always a joke. At last got her to shorten the time of waiting for her final answer from the 3rd of April to 1st of January. She seems satisfied this would be better. She seems less and less likely to say no. In fact, we talk and act as if yes was all but said. Oh, well, I mean, careful, but I love it. I love <laughs> it, but careful, but I love it. Yo, this is this this part of the book is for you at the end of the chapter. If this seemed like good news, Anne's hopes for the relationship were not to last long. Uh-huh. On the day Miss Walker had received the news of, of Mrs. Ainsworth's death, Anne Lister had made a passing remark to her diary. Quote, it instantly struck me. She would in due time succeed her friend and be Mrs. Ainsworth. Oh, unfortunate foreshadowing of drama to come. Is that <laughs> shaking your fist? Looking like Arthur. Oh, yeah. You know Angry what? Fist. I'm, yeah, I'm that's exactly. You're that's the a, living yes. Arthur meme right now. Yes. She used to be a fusion. All right. We're round in the bend. We're round in the bend. I mean, even in the, the stupid preview. Do you think he aims to propose? <laughs> Yo, that's why you walked out when we were actually to that part where she was sort of like, were you like, is this really happening? Are we veersing part two? Why? Why? So <laughs> I love what this. Chapter is called The Reverend Ainsworth, Miss Walker's Insulting Purse Offer, Attacked by a Thug, and An Uncertain End to the Year. Like, this is angsty. This is an angsty motherfucking chapter, which is appropriate for the episode we just watched and the episode we will watch in a few days. So this chapter starts out saying, on the first day of November, Anne Lister was shown a letter that convinced her history was set to repeat itself. It seemed to Anne a cruel twist of fate that she should once again be about to lose the object of her affection to a man. No. Yeah. No. No. We don't need this. You don't need the energy either. I hope she's not buying into it. Don't don't do it. I mean, but this is what we were saying though. This is why this was this was part this was a huge thing because like there's enough drama for gays to get into of any gender. Like just amongst yourself. Like, here's drama, here's a fight. That to add the patriarchy and looming impertinent dicks, looming assholes just on the perith trying to steal a bitch for her money. Like that's that's hard to fight against. And Anne, Anne Lister's been doing it her entire life and uh, yeah. she's done. She's over it. What I didn't like about reading this part of the books and stuff was how frequently Ainsworth wrote Miss Walker. And I guess you don't have motherfucking phones. You got more to say? Like, Because I told you one of those letters he wrote was six pages, bitch. Six pages. Imploring. You're trying to talk a bitch into nonsense. That's not how it fucking works. They do note how Anne Lister was more than likely full of shit because it says Anne's brisk tone concealed the depth of her feelings. Behind her call for action was a desperation to know where she stood with 
Thirsty Little, and Walker. Despite her frequent claims that she cared little for what Miss Walker should decide, her long crypt hand diary entries in the days following Ainsworth's letter record a period of intense emotional turmoil. For Ann Walker, bereaved now of a close friend as well as a former suitor, and grappling with her own sexuality, the letter was even more affecting. And this is a piece of an entry from the 1st of November, 1832. Sat by her on the sofa, both of us perpetually, with silent tears trickling down our cheeks. She quite undecided, fearing she should not be so happy with him as she might have been. Never knew till now how much she was attached to me. Should make comparisons to, in poor Mr. Fraser's favor. Torturing herself with all the miseries of not knowing what to do, she said how beautifully I behaved. She said there was as something in me she liked better than in him felt repugnance to forming any connection with the other sex. So that goes to what we were talking about with Anne Walker's gay confession of, I'm gay. Now we're going to get to the whole entry about this. And this is where mm. I'm like, gentlemen, Jack the Real and Lista, you didn't go far enough. You didn't go far enough, bitch. Because you can't tell some gays like, oh, she cut a lock of her pubes and <laughs> moving on. Like that's like, no, you can't do that. this is totally there. So in this book, the only part they have is that the following day, Miss Walker agreed to give Anne a token of her lasting affection, quote, a golden lock of her own pubic hair. Anne, having, quote, kissed her queer, handed Anne, other Anne, thirsty Anne, gay Anne, scissors to cut it herself. But this is what made me upset because they're like, okay, but in the diary entry, she's like, I couldn't, I couldn't cut it. I went to cut the hair from queer and I was so melodramatic and upset and fraught. I threw myself in the big chair and said, you cut it, bitch. You cut it for me because I can't. So that isn't in this this uh, book, <laughs> Gentleman Jack the Real Ed Lister, that extra lesbian trauma, but it's in nature's domain. So I'm not even gonna read the rest of that because I'll just save it for when I read that whole entry. They do also talk about Jeremiah and his nonsense. And I really only highlighted one sentence and related to Jeremiah because who needs to talk about him a bunch was that Jeremiah was not prepared for such a firm response. Uh, <laughs> but no, why? But why though? Wasn't. But why when he had received so many beforehand? He had all the time to be prepared. Uh, I don't get what what's taking him such time to get on the level because it seems like I mean that's what you were saying last episode. You're like, what is oh, I, his brother is him? His brother is him, but the mom right, right, is, right, right. but he not. And part of her entry on the second of November in 1832, she's just basically like, if he knew me at all, he would know that I should not swerve from what I said. From what the fuck I said, bitch. But that in fact, I had heard a good deal about the coal since I saw him. And so far from being better, should he be worse to bargain with? I'm just, I mean. I'm sorry. It's so far from being better, should be worse to bargain with. Like, yeah, like I know more information. I know more stuff. You can't get shit over on me. Like I know what's going on. I read books. I talked to people. I investigated. Why are you just trying to say numbers? Well, we really think 100 pounds is near the mark. From where, bitch? Where's your, re where's your citations? Do you where's understand your information? I'm reopening that pit? Like I'm reopening that. And then wait, I'm going to sink a new one. Because apparently there's so much money to be had here. And since, I don't know, you, you seem as if you're incapable of making the money from being able to rent. The bitch the, don't lie. The lower beds. She don't lie about when she learned his stuff. Securely, she securing the lower beds was, was a big, big jump. Huge. But uh, if you feel like that is beyond your scope, then then I'll just, I'll mind it on my own. It's fine. Yeah. And so they go into a little bit. I won't read it all out because it's not grumbling so who needs to <laughs> and there's been too much brandy but basically they're like yo she knew a lot of shit she wasn't she wasn't bluffing she went places so that's all it's yeah that's all actual and factual mansplaining she was dealing with in the 19th century yikes 
Mm-hmm. And it also does talk a little bit about that stuff that is said quickly, but is ultimately a big deal that she wants to go down there and where, you know, the Rawsons are. Like, I want to physically go down and see what the fuck is going on. They're oh, probably definitely stealing. No, no, no. She wants to be able to catch them. And be like, right. Uh-huh. She wants to be able to prove like just without, unequivocally, even though she already knows. But still, being able to see with your own eyes is totally different. So, oh, that's that letter. The letter for Anne Walker. Oh, gosh. Are you talking about the one that is penned by Ainsworth? Yes. I was going to say, I'm going to take that silence as a yes. They just talk about her stress, that Anne was very good at hiding her stress. Unlike Anne Walker, like, oh, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to do this. I'm still going to be a certain type of flirting and things through the letters, even though I'm internally about to combust. I'm stressing out, but I'm finding ways to channel the stress through like physical activity and distraction. You guys can't see him, but his hand's shaking. <laughs> it's real shaky. It's a shaky hand. That's what's going on. And so the only peak we get into her uncertainty about Ann Walker and what's going on this time is of course the diaries where she was just all over the place of just like, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. Surely she'll take me, but why won't she take me? But what's going on? Motherfucking Ainsworth, like just a lot. There's a statement she makes I forget where it went, but I'll find it later. But it's like, basically she's saying in French, there remains a century of three days. Like so melodramatic, but also beautifully put, which is, I don't think it helped. And Walker in the throes to have such beautiful poetry, <laughs> basically requesting like, girl, this is too long. Like, that's what she said. She's like, oh, three centuries and three days, girl, what am I going to do? Or is it one century? Whatever. One century and three days. It still applies. And Ann Walker's like, this pressure Like, you just made it worse. Like, it's not getting any better right now. Ultimately, the book is like, Anne resolved to do what she often did in in such situations and put her trust in God to allow her to be, quote, happy and satisfied and happy either way. That Anne was prompted to reflect on, quote, the extraordinary fate of things. Because it was exactly a year since she had arrived at 15 Pelham Crescent in Hastings, full of hope for a match with Vera Hobart. Now her mind was full of an entirely new dilemma, quote, wondering what will be mine tomorrow. Will Miss W take me or not? Oh, just turmoil. So I was going to read some more uh, bits from The Real Gentleman Jack, but it's kind of going past where I want to go for these motherfucking entries. So I'm going to blade and stop myself right now. And we're going to go backwards in time. We're going to go back to the end of October, to the beginning of November, for some of these full context entries that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, so in Nature's Domain, they make a note to mention that Anne's solicitous care of Anne Walker's health in York had impressed Mrs. Priestley, and that's on the 29th of October. But then by the time we get around to November 1st, it's like, oh, we made a call on the Priestleys, and Mrs. Priestley only spoke to Anne almost exclusively. Shade. Yeah. So for that entry... It basically says that it's on November 1st and it's like out at 1240, called and sat 20 minutes with Mrs. W. Priestley, who talked almost exclusively to Miss W. So that's it. So she doesn't elaborate on it, but why note it if it wasn't something to note? Oh, we went over here to see the Priestleys and she only spoke to Ann Walker. Uh, Well, that's sort of the energy of Elder Walker, where it's like there was a notation of, oh, well. But it was in the script. Oh, this is the notation that says, uh, now she's addressing Ann Lister. Versus just sort of having that face saying, hey, young Ann. 
we need to talk. <laughs> right. Do you want to excuse your company so that we can have a conversation? <laughs> and events are actually a little bit closer to what you thought was happening in the show, where you were like, oh, did she read the letter right away? Or did she just throw it down and try to get to it later? And in the diaries, in this same entry, they talk about that, where, you know, they're back at the crib and eating, and she writes, took a mouthful with her, meaning to be off to Shivden and in code. But she begged me to stay till she had read her letter from Mr. Ainsworth. Ah. And this occasion... And this occasioned us such dolefuls, so grief, or we we sad, that I offered to stay till tomorrow and wrote to this effect to my aunt. So a little bit different than what we see in the show, but essentially the same thing that, you know, she's fucked up and is like, please stay. I can't even finish this letter because I'm fucked up. Right. But then that's even, it's even more fucked up. But Anna's like, can I see that letter? Where she's like, no, let me see the letter. Because I stayed for the letter. She's like, it's private. (laughs) I can, it's private. No. (laughs) Right. No, I (laughs) know. Well, then fine. I've got to go do things to ship the home. No, don't leave Wait, me. don't leave me. If so let me see the letter. Right. You take away a special part of me. Ooh, <laughs> baby, please don't go. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So this is in the entry. Mr. Ainsworth hopes Mrs. W. will not forsake him as a friend and begs her to write to him without mentioning to Mrs. Bentley, quote unquote, or well, not quote unquote, but it's in parentheses, his sister-in-law. His having written to Mrs. W. So he's out here writing, begging for Miss Walker to take him as a husband, even though his bitch is barely cold and buried. But he's not telling other people. He's not telling his sister-in-law. He's not telling other people who would be like, yo, what you're doing is actually fucked up. Because in order for you to jump this quick to the marriage proposal means that you've actually been planning this for a very long time. And that in and of itself, Reverend, is super disturbing. So it continues, oh ho, which is a new phrase Mm -hmm. that I've added instead of hey ho, oh ho, (laughs) Anne's phrases. But she's like, oh ho, thought I, all this is very clear. And I candidly told her what I thought. This led to my saying that she must now decide between Mr. A and me. And it ended in her resolving to give me her final answer on Monday to write to Mr. A on that day and show me her letter. So, different, but still fraught. Still, yes. She was like, well, Monday. Monday it is. Now, they're saying, oh, Walker said Monday. Oh, did she? Oh, okay, so... Well, no, I mean, I don't see. I don't know that that's saying that Walker said Monday. It's just like, okay, it was decided. And if anyone's going to be bringing up deadlines, you and I both know that's Ann Lister. She's like checking my watch. I need to know when this is going to go down. But this is what they came to through, you know, just imagine any sort of couple conversation that would happen around this. And further down on the entry continues, sat by her on the sofa, both of us perpetually with silent tears trickling down our cheeks. She quite undecided fearing she should not be so happy with him as she might have been, never knew till now how much she was attached to me, should make comparisons too in Mr. Poor Fraser's favor, and this is just the extended thing of what I was reading earlier, and torturing herself with all the miseries of not knowing what to do. She said how beautifully I behaved, felt repugnant to forming any connection with the other sex. It was only on the 28th of July last that Mr. Fraser died. She was 29 on the 20th of May. We were doleful and tearful as ever, and went upstairs to bed at 9.35. Very fine day, 59 degrees. (laughs) She says she's quite undecided, yet promises me a lock of queer's hair in the morning, and I am to cut it myself if I like. So this is describing what is depicted in the show prior to the morning angst that we get with Anne and her brace. And so the book gives some context, and this is Nature's Domain, that orphaned when she was 19, her only brother dying when she was 26, and Mr. Fraser just shortly after her 29th birthday, for Anne Walker, death and sex swirled in a cauldron of guilt and grief. Mm-hmm. 
An unprotected heiress living alone, she was understandably worried about whom she could really trust. And Lister, on the other hand, just wanted to make a prudent match and settle down for the remainder of her life. But now she found herself living out some extreme tensions. In particular, Anne Walker's tantalizing behavior, abnegating sexual responsibility was very hard for Anne, who was understandably, Anne Lister, who was understandably almost beside herself amid the contradictions. This is what we're talking about. Like, you grabbling, you cuddling, yeah. but you're confused. Oh. You grabble in, you want to be with me. You, you, you can't stand to be away from me, but you think you might have to take Ainsworth. You are worried about what the people think, but you haven't decided. You say you don't want to be with anyone else but me, but you're still not decided. What? Girl, how does that work? I'm confused. I'm busy and I got things to do. Quit playing games with my heart, please. Quit and thank playing you. games right. with my heart. Playing games with my heart. heart. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ay, Dios. And so the book finishes this section saying they were in a world without a script. In their despair, the two women fell into male and female roles. And I want to ask you about this because... I don't know what that means here for this because right. it's just someone who's torn and someone saying, decide, but I'll give you time to make the decision. And this, you can't attribute that to this is a male or female? What? Right, I... See, because when I see stuff like that, it's it it's it always it gives me pause in a certain kind of way because it's like people will say that now about queer couples. Like despite all the books and things and things that exist, a lot of times people are like, Well, well, who's the woman, who's the man? But well, the who's right, there's no there's just in my opinion, there's personality types and there are things that people code to gender, but you can authentically want to do it regardless of what whether or not you're in the category that people say you should right. be for it. Like that dude who tried to tell me playing the trumpet was masculine. Again, how do you attribute masculinity to a musical instrument? I'm just. So this is what follows. This is the part of the entry that follows after they make this statement about male and female rows and that they say that Ann Walker, I guess as an explanation to the statement, that Ann Walker was offering small domestic services and Anne was holding, Anne Lister, was holding herself with dignity and returning home to transact the state business. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess those are gender roles for the time, but at the same time, that's just them. That Anne Walker, does, Anne Walker that. doesn't do anything. The only hobby she has, especially when we can see in the show, is sketching. She's bored. Right. She doesn't <laughs> want to watercolor. She doesn't want to buy bonnets. She just... And wants she's, to grubble and, you and know, travel. Well, um, not really travel, she, She's eventually. not... She's not as smart, you know? She's not She's not in the coal business. So. But coal is generally uninteresting for most right. people, and it should be, because who the fuck gives a goddamn about coal? But Ann Lister out here trying to make that bread, so I just... Well, I guess we're, in this, we're of the same mind of that, as that's an interesting statement, and I get it. Okay, so Ann Walker was making stuff, and Ann Lister was just, like, brooding and doing man's work, so gender roles. But, I mean, I don't know. Listeners, if you have any opinions yourself on what gender roles they were subscribing to. I mean, obviously, Ann Lister has co-signed many parts of the patriarchy because what other choice does she have in this time to be like, well, I think this explains stuff. But I just, I just don't know. What are, you, what are your guys' thoughts on gender roles? Gender is a construct, but... <laughs> and we appreciate like, that Do you answer, think they but... were in there, gender? Or was it just them being them? Because to me, it's them being them. What Ann Walker, what is she supposed to do but offer to make some motherfucking... Well, she should be making... She should be offering to make braids. Like, babe, can I make you some more? Man's underwear. But yes. So the entry that follows this is on Friday. And this is the morning after. Friday, November 2nd. And it reads, We fretted ourselves to sleep last night. 
She lay on me as usual to warm her stomach and then lay in my arms. But I was perfectly quiet and never touched her queer, the tears silently trickling from my cheeks down hers. Somehow I was shockingly attendri, or softened, though perpetually saying to myself, well, I care not how she decides. On awaking, I found myself as tearful as ever. Just before getting up, I got scissors, took up her night chemise, and attempted to cut the lock but kissed her queer instead. Now, I added instead, but I'm just like, yeah, you, you attempted to cut the lock. She you said, were overcome with gay drama or just gay emotion. <laughs> and you were like, let me just kiss the queer because I may not be near queer again for a while. So let me kiss it tenderly. <laughs> Babe, you cut the lock. I can't. I'm fucked. I can't do it. Okay, so yes, um, took up her chemise and attempted to cut the lock, but kissed her queer. Gave her the scissors and said she must cut it for me herself. And then threw myself into the great chair she soon gave me the golden lock, threw herself on the chair by me. We wept, parentheses, and kissed. I thanked her, and she left me. So this is like, so that's, when you read about, or when you hear Ann Lister talking about what a pretty scene we had, like, bitch, you ain't, you ain't telling. Could I have been in the, in the balcony watching y'all just, it's like, look at this gay drama. It is ridiculous. And the journal entry Continues before it's done. Temperature is 51 degrees, 8.30 a.m. and damp, drizzling morning. Packed my traveling bag downstairs and breakfast at 10. Both of us attendri and the tears starting perpetually. I said my mind was made up for the worst. She said, well, but she had not given her answer yet. She would, parentheses, and did, mend my gloves. So here's where I think maybe they're talking about domestic shit. Begged me to promise to let her have a night chemise for a pattern, but she saw I declined promising. She hoped she should do many more things for me. Never knew till now how much she was attached to me. I made no reply. She hung upon me and cried and sobbed aloud at parting. Well, said I to myself as I walked off, a pretty scene we have had, but surely I care not much and shall take my time of suspense very quietly and be easily reconciled either way. So this is a combination of what we saw in the show and other stuff. So, I mean, are you, what are your thoughts on that? I feel like that's what they mean when they say domestic, domestic stuff that she was out here trying to make gloves and night gowns for yeah, but still, Lister. No, because Taylor's and seam people are... Right, I think it's, and like we were talking about this before, like love languages, like some people... Right really enjoy doing other things for other people, especially if they're specific types of tasks. And given the limited functionality of Ann Walker because of the patriarchy, it's nice to feel useful. And with Ann being so useful to Ann Walker, like, uh, you know, the books mentioned time and time again, the diaries, she's relying on me. She's coming to me. She's asking me questions. She needs advice. So clearly you are a help to her. Clearly she is getting something from you besides the grubbles. She is getting mental stimulation. She's getting help. She's getting spiritual shit. And so why would she not try to give something back to her girl with that she was capable of doing? I cannot impart to you how to dissect a baby. Right. I cannot help you with your motherfucking coals. But what I can do is buy you some books or lend you mine. And here's some fucking gloves. Here's some fucking braids because I got a pattern. But what are your thoughts on that very melodramatic diary entry? I mean, I still, I don't want to attribute. So if I escape gender and roles and I only focus on the fact that, yes, there are feelings to be had. They're, they're almost froth-like, but... Did you say but, froth? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're almost... What? They're almost froth-like, but, you know, there's, there's, there's some there's some sore here. And I feel... There's some sore here, and I feel like, you know, we can... It's it's Ainsworth. <laughs> it is Ainsworth. Motherfucker Ainsworth. 
And two, and Lister's credit is like I said in the in the diaries, you realize that the whole Ainsworth and melodrama is like a week, perhaps plus, of just stuff, and that multiple letters are sent by this motherfucker. Like every day, this this motherfucker sent a new letter, pages like, hey, 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 hey. And so part of Ann Lister's frustration is like, yo, we need better responses to these letters. Like mm-hmm. this motherfucker still writing, like he got a chance, and I need you to communicate that he doth not have a single chance. Around this time that this stuff is happening is when we get the letter because there was that, you know, we were on November 2nd. Hey, I'm leaving. Give me that lock of hair. Three days, bitch. Three days. You got three days to figure out your life. And so here's the entry from <laughs> from three days later on November 5th. Starts out pretty normal. Breakfast with my father at 845. Shoot him the cold plan. And we saw that on the show where he was like, dirty business, bitch. I don't. Dirty business. At 11, Miss Walker's servant brought a basket for my aunt and another to me. So we didn't see that. That Ann Walker was out here being polite with her fuck shit. She was like, a fruit basket for you, Aunt Ann Walker. Mother-in-law to be, I don't know, maybe. No. <laughs> and one for you, bae. And so, yeah. Okay. At 11, Miss Walker's servant brought a basket for my aunt and another to me of grapes, etc. And in code, it's written. And a purse containing the note that ought to have said yes or no. I opened it in agitation, little expecting to find it a mere evasion. And all between us is as undecided as ever. Here's the copy of her memorable note. So this is what you've been waiting for. You were like, what's that dissertation Ann Walker wrote? It doesn't say just yes or no. So what does she say? Okay, so here is uh, the copy of the note, memorable note, as Ann Lister says, written in her diaries. Quote, I send the promised note for you at your perusal and correction. I have endeavored to express myself in the most gentle and delicate manner possible and rather to imply than say what I really mean. It is a most difficult note to write. And had it been possible, I would rather have been silent for the present until grief had become more subdued. I find it impossible to make up my own mind. For the last 12 months, I have lived under circumstances of no common moment. And with my health impaired and with vivid regrets of the past, I feel that I have not the power fairly to exercise my own judgment. My heart would not allow me to listen to any proposal of marriage. And this is in effect the same. I would simply go on and leave the event to God. And on these grounds, I once thought of asking if you would act upon your original intention and consent for us to travel together for a few months. Again, I feel this is unfair to you. I promised an answer and I am at your mercy. I have written the words yes and no on a slip of paper and put them in the purse. I have implicit confidence in your judgment. And if you still think it better to decide today, the paper you draw out first must be the word. (laughs) That's where it is. That's where it is. Uh, Okay. The paper you draw out first must be the word that decides, or if you prefer, let your good aunt draw. She said... She said, let your good aunt Ann Walker draw the paper for us. Like, for like the fate a, of our relationship. Like, a, what do you call it? Whoever's officiating the marriage ceremony. <laughs> like, that's Aunt Ann Walker. Um, excuse me, Aunt Ann Lister. Okay, so she's like, or your good aunt. She could draw it. And then neither of us have to decide. She's like, see, that's even better. You don't have to decide. I don't have to decide. No one decides. Aunt Ann Lister, she decides. She's cool. And then she adds what we might expect. And she says, so after she's like, and then neither of us decide, you may think this an evasive termination of my promise. Oh, it looks like you know Ann Lister well enough to know what she's going to be pondering. After that, she adds, forgive me, for it is really all I can say. <laughs> Having heard you say that in one case, i.e. if no, I must give you up as a friend. I find myself as incapable of consenting to this as I am for deciding my present feelings, what is to be my future course of life. Whatever may be the event, I shall always remain your faithful and a affectionate and walker so she's basically like um i've been thinking all weekend and the thing is, is i'm still mourning i still got grief over death and i 
I feel like the right thing to do is continue to mourn. And if I need to continue to mourn to be right and moral, then I can't possibly marry you. But also, if you're asking me if I can conceive of ever letting you go and not having you in my life, I can't. So I can't give an answer. I don't know what to do. Take the bag. Okay? <laughs> just take it. And, you know, and that's just like, bitch! May the odds be bitch. ever and ever. How, well, how do you say fuck these odds? You're the one with the, 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 the being torn. And then you're going you're gonna to neglect to select an option? Because she's that torn. What's that song by Nelly and Brulia? Nothing's right, I'm torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I'm shamed. Lying naked on the floor. Illusion never changed into something real. Wide awake and I can see the perfect sky is torn. You're a little late. I'm already torn. What is happening in this recording? Okay. Well, what the fuck was that? Oh, right. We were at the end of that entry. Okay. 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 So that's the letter. So those were your thoughts about Ann and Walker's indecision. I feel like people are happier after they make the... See, think of all the time you spend ever antagonizing on anything major Word. as a decision. And then imagine yourself spending time just being happy that you already chose. And yeah. it's... You... you balance the levels out so you know just hurry up and decide whatever whatever your decision hurry up and decide and, and then you'll wonder why you would have thought it was such a hectic decision to make in the first place yeah you know i just realized that i'm day drinking now because it's dawn you know, and i'm still sipping and yeah you shan't because <laughs> you can't i can't nah. you guys if you can see and this nah. motherfucker in the studio you'd be like oh take that bottle candace take it away i mean they wanted <laughs> to see what happened but we cracked <laughs> no open. it's true actually i'm gonna they find that to listener see. that this comments what on the Insta and be like look at what you did when you listen to this nightcap and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Did Terrence just disappear? Yeah, yeah probably. Probably. <laughs> Thanks to Ann Walker's gin. <laughs> and you have yourself to blame. Lovely listener. Um, okay, yeah. So let me just close this shit out before I lose you all together. So this this is all from the same day. And this part of the entry that she writes down, you know, she recounts her day every time she writes an entry, is about after she went to motherfucking Lydgate and was like, I need to jaunt and see what the fuck's going on mm. over there. So off to Lydgate. <laughs> this sorry. Is I'm sorry. She says off to Lydgate at 1110. I just want to say that at 11, Miss Walker's servant brought the basket. Uh-huh. So at 11.10, right. this bitch was already off to Lydgate. Like, we must not waste any time. I'm not going to eat any of these fruit that you sent me. Okay, so it continues. Off to Lydgate at 11.10. Rained all the way. So this bitch walking in the rain. She's walking in the rain. Like, we were just musing about Eve Palastri. She in the rain. So not only is she jaunting, she's jaunting to Crow Nest in the rain. Okay, I'm just saying the scene. Saying the scene of all the fucking drama. She was nervous when we met, but I looked calm, and we soon got on tolerably. We kissed and she was affectionate as usual. And then listen to this part. As far as I would let her. <laughs> She's being withholding from Thirsty Ann Walker. The entry continues. I returned the purse with the yes at one end and the no at the other. Just as she had sent it. <laughs> Saying I could not leave the decision of chance. What ought only be decided by her own heart. She felt the force of this remark. <laughs> probably because you yelled it, Anne. You I probably am. yelled it. She felt the force. <laughs> I'm sure she felt the wind, too, from you yelling at her. We both got attendri. Got real soft. Real fucking. <laughs> and she begged me to give her a little more time. Is it? 
feel like it's reasonable. Okay, it's reasonable for Ann Lister to be like, there's a man involved, I'm stressed, I need to speed this up. But it is also reasonable for Ann Walker to be like, could I have more than three days to decide my life, if that's Sure, okay. you can have as many days as you allow for me to read this letter. <laughs> well, Show me that letter. Private? <laughs> oh, well. Mm. I guess you got no days, bitch. You got no, no days. days. Okay, so where was I? I promised her more time, for which she thanked me and said I would stay. Oh, Wow, that's a little different from the show. Promised her more time for which she thanked me and said I would stay then till after my rent day on the 2nd of January. Begging, however, that she would not require longer than the 1st of January for her decision, which she promised. I explained that she really was wrong in putting the thing, i.e. paper and purse. (laughs) as she had done, that a proud and honorable spirit could never brook such a strange trusting to chance. So she's basically like, I'm offended that you thought that me and Lister would allow for this to be a decider because that's not how I work. Maybe that's how you work. You should have drew the the note from the purse yourself and then told me what the answer was. It kept me out of the the loop of the fact that you did decide it by chance. Right. Continues. I told her I had not been prepared for her note of this morning, either by her last words to me on Friday or by the lack of hair she had given, excuse me, or by the lack of hair she had given. She said, quote, well, she had thought of this. She would not have given it the lock to anyone else. Exclamation point. And who said I could have asked for it. <laughs> Landwalkers are like, bae, like I would never give a lock of my pubes to anybody. Literally nobody else. Not a dude, not a woman, just you. And then it's like, okay, well, who else would you? Like, who else is out there? Who, who are the other options that I need to know about? There had been too many endearments and too great a tie between us for me to go back to what I had been. Thus, I have tactically put an end to our traveling together so long as she is undecided. Better an end of it at once. Her friendship would be an useless pother. And Steph's prudence not to recommend too hastily the going abroad was, he said, better for me. But she said she could not now stay at home to be bothered with Mr. A's letters and be without protection, i.e. Anne. She would gladly enough travel with me now. But why should I run the risk of spending my time and money for nothing? I shall be better without her. I can take Eugenie and go and live in a cottage... near Grenoble and study and improve myself and save my money. (laughs) On leaving her, I repeated myself, come nerve yourself up and never mind. And on getting home said, well, it is an arrow, i.e. a sign and perhaps a lucky escape. Thank God for all his mercies. So she's basically to the point where she's so fraught by Ann Walker's indecision that she's like, you know what? (laughs) Fuck it. I can just take Eugenie and go to motherfucking cottage. (laughs) Read some more books. Okay. And save money. Better myself. Which is basically what she did after, like, Mariana was on her fuck shit. I think this is one of Ann Lister's main coping mechanisms with stuff. Like, I'll busy myself. I will better myself. And then I'll be okay. This poor girl. Just, I feel like Ann Lister loves to go to extremes when she's not immediately presented with. Because she makes her point from, she knows what she, but she's physically in this place she she jaunted through the rain <laughs> she did jaunt through the so rain so she knows why she's here and she's just like am i wasting my time there have been so many almost yeses and now i feel like you're and this is just a gay girl with anxiety right you know you was out here fucking with all kinds of numbers on the kinsey scale but ann walker's truly gay she's just ugh all right. So in Nature's Domain, Joe Liddington writes that the that the purse revealed essentially a fundamental clash between the two women. And Walker, an orphaned heiress given to procrastination, which is what we were talking about earlier, preferred to leave her future to chance and to fate. In stark contrast, resolute and decisive Ann Lister, an equally observant Anglican, insisted that a, quote, proud and honorable person should determine her own fate. 
Yet Anne continued to vacillate, and that's Anne Walker they're talking about. Anne Lister even had to dictate Anne's discouraging letter back to the inopportuning Ainsworth. So I'm not going to bother with that right now because that's more relevant for episode five, but it happens. There's another note here that says Anne Lister planned to order a ring from York to mark the seriousness of the settlement, but Anne Walker wrote, I cannot take it, my love, till I have fewer torments of conscience than I endure at present. Then Anne Walker received a six-page letter from Mr. Ainsworth. This is what I was talking about. Six-page! Ainsworth. Why is it six pages? I don't understand. Detailing his wife's last days and stressing her philanthropy. In a part marked private, he reminded Anne that he had been a friend to her and in her affliction, presumably the death of Mr. Fraser, begging her to act as one to him now. Ew. Like someone needs to fuck this motherfucker Ew. up. You know who you should turn to now that you need uh, someone to help you cope with loss? You know that God that you serve? I feel like that should be a mighty God. So you could just go and do that religion thing and be totally fine by yourself. Okay, but if you're a man of the cloth and you out here acting like this, um, me tinks, me tinks, your faith is, woo, needs some work. Me tinks, your practicing of this religion needs some motherfucking work. So I'm not even going to finish the rest of that stuff because I don't want to get too deep into episode five and oh, yeah, as i told you ainsworth, I like it's ainsworth leans over yeah. it does it does because of the whole timeline situation it gets a little sticky with what to read so before i because i'm really going to close it out on something that while it was a little bit tragic for the nethers of a thirsty patron saint and walker it's hilarious to me about the grubble so we will end we will end on the entry that i was implying about oh was she destroyed mm. the uh i keep wanting to say something else like my a caribbean no, no, word no. but i'm um, like the yes. nethers <laughs> I'll it's, say nevers. Don't yeah. want to make anyone blush she listening to this podcast. Her legs. <laughs> she was... God damn it. <sighs> I'm trying not to go into the vulgar place and you're like, bitch, let's dive. I'm drunk. She um, was pulsating yet from <laughs> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last entry I will bother with on this day, as it relates to Anne Lister and Anne Walker and this stuff about Ainsworth and angst. There's a lot to be said about Anne Lister's language. Like she is a true gay, true lesbian. She has beautiful, beautiful language when writing to women in any topic on any theme. It doesn't matter. It's always great. And similarly, Anne has some really wonderful ways in which she tells Anne Walker, like, bitch, you out of time. Like, bitch, <laughs> bitch, you about to lose a hoe. But I'm going to say it in this really beautiful Georgian language expression so that it's kind of like, I don't know, poison that tastes good <laughs> in a certain kind of way. I don't I don't know how to put it. So this is something that was written down on November 23rd, 1832 on a Friday. And so as you see, we've jumped maybe like another week and a half, almost two weeks from when we were last reading yeah. our last entry. The book says that exerting her authority using the, the term that Ann Lister uses. Ann Lister twice told Ann Walker that if she married... She would discover Anne had been as a meteor in her life, briefly and brilliantly dazzling, then disappearing like a dream. So, treat the actual shit. Okay, Friday, November 23rd. Adlid Gate at 10.30. Mrs. W, doubting as usual whether she had done right in telling me about Mr. Ainsworth and saying she ought to have waited before pledging herself to me, could not go abroad. Parried her arguments, yet reminded her that I had said before, quote, I shall pass away like a meteor and leave no trace behind. I am getting tired of her moody, melancholy pother and shall give her back her purse. And yes, be off. So that's where she's like, bitch, I, bitch you know what this is? Look at me. <laughs> if you don't this. grab this bitch, <laughs> no, please go. <laughs> you gonna lose a good thing. You gonna lose your wife. <laughs> she got right. that Beyonce. <laughs> she got that angsty Beyonce. Who you think you <laughs> am? <laughs> you ain't messing with no average bitch, girl. <laughs> I 
I'm about to walk to the next bitch, girl. Wait, is that how the legs go? <laughs> it's in my head. It's in my but head, but I couldn't say it. Right. Wait. I'm fucking up all your shit, girl. Acronest, yes. fucking up your pretty little books, your pretty little pictures. That's if Anne was raging against the machine on some Madeira. But she's very, very... You know what? I'm projecting that Latin energy because we were talking about that comic energy or that comic skit, that Tiffany Haddish comic skit we saw on Netflix earlier where I was laughing because of, well, in the comics was talking about their grandmother and great-grand and just women on the Latin side that... Like if a guy does something bad, whether it's cheating or worse, that a lot of times Latin women will have misandry energy, which will result in the harming of your person. <laughs> I mean, so be careful when you're fucking with these island bitches. Okay. I will just say that I do think it's, I do believe it to be genetic. Actually, I had a mini conversation about this with my mom when I saw her this past weekend because I was telling her about this special because it made me think of my abuela. And she recounted the story. She's like, you know that one time I saw your, <laughs> I saw your grandma and my mom uh, take a pan and chase a man out the thing. And that's my abuelita didn't take any fucking shit. She would have picked up whatever was nearby to deal with a dude. Well, all right. So when people go, Candace, why do you have so much? Why do you have so much energy for dudes? Like, you don't even make any sense. I'm like, bitch, I came out the womb this right. way. It's in the blood. It's genetic. It's <laughs> in the blood. I can't do anything about it. Blame my ancestors. Oh, boy. There was another statement she made, and it'll become more relevant as we see episode five and on. But it's, I just wanted to say, because I wrote it down, because I just thought it was beautiful, like heartbreaking, but beautiful. As she describes in her journals what's happening with Ann Walker, and this is on the 26th of November, so close to where we just were. But she's basically like, there is some grinding trouble in the heart, some aching void, if voids can ache. Oof. Oof. But you know why? You know what? Going through. You know why void takes me out too? Because the void is never ending; it's infinite. Right, right. And it's just like God. So you get it, but you don't get it. Like you get it, and but you don't get it, God. And on that, oh, I closed my iPad. Let me open it back up. I'm out here trying to end on oh, the void, the pain. Like fuck that. You should have said, Candace, fuck you. What are you doing? Yeah, get you to the forgot. Grubbles. Right. Get to the grubbles. I need. I'm sorry, my, guys. I need my walker who can't walker because. Uh, <laughs> Yo, this is... <laughs> I mean, am I lying? I'm not. No, you're not. Uh, okay. No, you are not. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So on October the 16th, on a Tuesday, here it is. She writes, Mrs. W, not well, lay on the sofa all day and I sat by her very affectionately, gave her gruel, nursed her very tenderly, the more so as she was suffering from having had me last night. She never thought I should have made her suffer so much. <laughs> would never let me do so again. I took all this very well. And we talked as if there was no chance of her eventually refusing me. <laughs> what? We settled to go to York on Monday and have Dr. Belcombe come to us. <laughs> I just, I just, like she, like she, like just, Anne is like, listen, so got to write this down. Um, <laughs> Got told by Anne that the Grubbles were too inspired. I fucked her up. Her back is in pain. She's like, girl, what? I don't think we can ever do that again. She's like, well, uh, let me parry this in the way that I do. Compliment, compliment. Look at your curls. <laughs> Did I ever say no oil painting? I said the best oil painting. And then as she ends the entry, like, and we talked as if there was no chance of her eventually refusing me. So like, we still gonna travel. Like she's a little bit sore. She is traumatized in a certain kind of way, but it's good trauma. She's gonna get over this trauma. She's gonna settle in. And didn't she? Cause they went to York and back on the gravels. Grubers, all kinds of shit. Oh yeah. Gays, everyone out there, gay or straight or whatever the fuck you identify as, listening to this goddamn podcast. Please let Ann Walker's, Ann Walker's desire, endless, 
endless pit of desire inspire you, okay? I hope this podcast makes sense. I'm really not sure what's happening here. I'm not, not sure what's happening. Terrence doesn't even know what uh, city he's not. in. <laughs> I mean, I do know, sort of. You're like, oh, New York. Where's about? Yes. Um, so final thoughts before <laughs> literally about to be 7 a.m., you bitches. I kiddeth not. Well, final thought overall. Yes, I'm excited that um, my lady has some technique. I mean, duh. <laughs> duh. I mean, the odds are definitely in her favor. 93% her favor. Hey, 93% in her 93 favor. <laughs> in her favor. Um, Spread the word. I like when they're happy together. I do, and I love it. And it it saddened me that mo- a majority of the notes were dealing with the with the uh, with the anticipation of waiting for Walker to say, "You know what, fuck Ainsworth." But that that didn't happen yet. But I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping when do we do you have any predictions into- on how she might fuck him up? Like, if you had to try and lock something in, how do you think that might go down? <sighs> At this point, I want her to catch a body, but I know she won't. Right? But You're like, that's catch a body, want, turn right. this into killing Eve. Yes. Make her a killer. Yes. I understand that there's only one killer in this damn show, and that's Thomas. Okay, so right. fine. Let Thomas be the killer. Right. Bring Let th- him be a murderer. <laughs> I just, I'm just saying that I wouldn't judge Anne. I'm just saying that it wouldn't change anything about how I feel about her as an individual who exists in this fucking planet, in this reality, or about the fictional telling. Because you could be like, Candace, that's a whole fucking lie. You know what? There's other little bitty lies in this fictional retelling that I would take a murdered Ainsworth. Oh, yeah. See? I would be okay. But again, I'm hella biased. I'm not logical when it comes to misandry, so perhaps I'm not the best resource (laughs) for this plot switch idea. That murder of Ainsley, that might bring uh, Anne out out of her black. (laughs) Show up to the funeral in in red. (laughs) (laughs) So we on to toast, I think. Oh yes, toast your so, uh, toast your water, bitch. You need to hydrate here. Take my water. <laughs> <laughs> hydrate your ass. So I would like to dedicate my toast. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll let you have if you're going to use ninety three. You can have that <laughs> in your toast. Keeping keeping it global centric. Um, I will. A toast to you. Already knew I was saying that shit after yeah. as long as I took to look for that Facebook video. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, Please continue. I, uh, all right. I'm gonna toast. Yes, uh, we're gonna toast. Uh, Marin in a cut over here uh, with carpet. <laughs> you gonna toast to Marion? Carpet boy, do that Abbott. shit. Toast to Marion. Um, over here vying for his uh, his affections off screen since episode one. I can't believe. That he's been around this whole time. And I mean, if he makes an appearance at the estate, I, I feel, I hope he still cares for you. That That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, so cheers to you. Uh, good luck, Marion. And of course, you know, cheers to your sister and her being able to make up after that really bad fight that she was having with her. With her soon-to-be wife. That was a really bad that fight. That was a really, really bad fight. Agreed. So, yeah, that, that's going to be my cheers. That's your cheers. I cheers to, well, you already said it, a 93 percentile chance of catching an all. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, that's a privilege. I cheers to 
threat against men, which is how we ended. Lovely episode for, well, not lovely for the angst, but lovely for everything else. The acting, the quality, the stuff, the journey. Threats against men. I will always cheer threats against men. I cheers and being on her maths again. Dropping Tabany Perkov with (laughs) Jeremiah. And I actually, because this preemptively gets into something I'll be very interested to talk about as it comes back around, which is faith and the, the importance for some people to be able to feel like you can fully bask in the knowledge or whatever it is of who you believe to be your creator, your God, the, the entity or the thing that you worship and feel as though you are fully within that embrace of acceptance or just it's right, it's normal. And so I cheers to Anne having this perspective in a world where it's super difficult to have this and not any spoilers, but I feel like a woman like Anne Lista was necessary for a woman like Anne Walker both very pious, both very faithful. And of all the many contradictions they have, or or is contradiction the word I want to use? <laughs> contrasting. Contrasting? I, I was about to say diametrically opposed. Okay. Yeah, for all of their contrasting, diametrically opposed personality traits, I just think that at the end of the day, it's like a perfect little mixture, a perfect little combination of positive, the negative, and I say that in a battery sense, just like polar opposites that combine to make this medley. So I just cheers. I cheers to all that I just said. Probably my most long-winded cheers ever, but yes. Grubbles, O's, threats against men, being able to stand with your love and your faith at the same time, because that's a tremendous gift for those who have it. Oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> drink your water. You I, need I should. You I drink that water. I, I, yeah, I just. Oof. KCL bitches want to know I'm not drinking water. But <laughs> I'll also say that if anybody here is a motherfucking veteran of drinking and staying up late, it's me. Yes. It's me. I've got a lot of years of preparation. I'm also a natural insomniac. So I'm one of those people that needs, prefers, and usually just gets four to six hours um, of sleep a day. That's all I need. That's all I want. And if I get more, it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Terrence, on the other hand, he's done. His goose is cooked, you guys. Yes, I am. It's a wrap. Wiped. (laughs) He got too turnt. And then once I get home. Send your messages. Yes. It's it's the the, the the combination. Okay. I actually knew, and this was an expensive bottle of gin. I felt like this could fuck a motherfucker up. (laughs) <laughs> and your fucking ass was like straight I was like, I was like are you gonna mix it are you gonna put right. juice See, and you yeah. started sipping that shit like I don't, I don't know okay I guess I put juice but then your glass looked real tall and I'm like how much of that is juice and how much of that is gin and then I was just on my one and I wasn't even done and you're like yeah and then and I was it, like bitch what it sat in my system and then it was like and then it did what it does it, it did what yeah, it did what liquor was, does it did what like, liquor Oof. does so well. Apologies, you guys, if this episode is too motherfucking turnt. We will be back on our organized jaunty without booze for our recap of episode five, which is entitled, Let's Have Another Look at Your Past Perfect. Ooh, quick prediction. Who says that? Who says that? Let's have another look at your past perfect. I hope it's not an Ainsworth to uh, uh, Walker. I also hope that... Well, if I had to pick, I'd, I'd want it to be a Lister to a Rawson, if I had to pick. But I feel like since we got the fake out last You got to pick. You got to pick. I'm right, making you do let's it. Lock, let's lock in. Let's lock in. Look at your past perfect. Let's have another look at your past perfect. Uh, 
I'm going to say, even though no attention should be on uh, the murderer, I, I guess I'll... um. Thomas? <laughs> Thomas? It's either Thomas or the wrong Okay, but how does Thomas have this vocabulary? No, 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 no. <laughs> Directed to. But oh. Yeah. What? Okay, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say that this is said... <laughs> To the Jontia Rawson. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. You know, we usually sign out after our toast. We didn't. So let's just toast one more time to jauntiness. To gay jauntiness. Yes, to gay jauntiness. All right. Thank you guys for listening. And yeah, apologies. <laughs> As always, if you want to reach out to us, laugh at us or with us, you can uh, Both go totally to our fine. social meds. Uh, we know they're a little frail. But, you know, but some of you, some of you motherfuckers are like coming to follow and we appreciate you for it. Oh, my God. Also, did we shout out our three Patreon supporters already? Am I too I wasted? I feel like it, we can do it again. I if feel we didn't like do it, it we'll do it again. Yes. Our our three grubble tears. Thank you. Yes. For being near queer. <laughs> Sorry. You know what? Just now I'm getting to the point now. I was I was holding it together. Yeah, I was the I person know, that I was know. together and you forced right, me to have it together. Drive the boat. You forced me. All right. I'm going to drive the boat. And now look at what's happening. It, well, it's, it is it's 7 a.m. It's 7. <laughs> I did my best. I kept it together. I was like, Candace, fucking focus, bitch. Grubbles. I'm, uh, once okay. I pass that 25-hour mark out, my brain is. And then plus all the alcohol. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot I'm dealing with. And then work at 8.45. Yo, you're not going. You going? <laughs> maybe best maybe of I luck should to not you. go. Best of luck to your employer. I'm definitely working today. I mean, I just got to figure out how to. See, I don't. I mean, Terrence, I have are you to sleeping work today, but like... <laughs> No. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. But yes, you can laugh with us, at us, <laughs> at all of our social meds. Um, you you know, already you know we're at mic. the... Okay. We have IG, which is, is that Gentleman Jack Gentleman Crack? Gentleman Jack Crack. Yes. Yeah, so we have a Twitter. That Gentleman is crack. Gentleman Crack. And then uh, I guess you could always do the Gmail thing. Gentleman Crack. Wait. Gentleman, Gentleman Jack, Jack Podcast. Podcast. Oh, hey. Well, we, we, we got there eventually. We, got we it. did it. We, we did. did it. Um, Round of applause. Yes. For our turn to asses. Um, so, yes. Yeah, stay in tune till we do. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm super slurs. Um <laughs> Stay what a fucking until, mess. We're going to um, look back on this episode because you know what's going up anyway. Yes. And we're going to look back and be like, bitch, what the this fuck? We were so hours. together. We were so professional. And then there it goes. What if fucking <laughs> Saran Jones comes across this particular episode? She's like, God. These two. Absurd. Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, uh, stay tuned for our next nightcap where we will be able to go more in depth with what has been going down with yes, the letters of Ainsworth? Terrence word? went down halfway in the episode. Yes. So I did. It got rough. It, it got was rough. hard. It was. It was. Um, it's because so, there were so many turnt people in the office or in the studio. Yeah, it was. It, it really was a set party. the stage yeah. for turntness going forward. But yes, please. Like we need to. This this sign out has been going on forever. So you said you're gonna steer the ship, steer the fucking ship. Yes. Um, like I said, we're gonna do uh, season one, episode five. Let's have another look at your past perfect. And then we're going to do the <laughs> nightcap to follow. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> that's going to be exciting. I'm delirious. I'm giddy now. God. Uh, we love you so much. Thank you, everybody. And until next time, cue the jaunty music. And never forget the 93 percentile. Right. Friends. Goblin is a gift from the left. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Regency era lesbians. Oh my God. 